Rob Dial has made a name for himself as the coach of coaches. Not only does he know how to coach people, he knows how to coach coaches to coach people and also help coaches develop the business models to be able to have coaching be their profession. He's a well-rounded guy. We talk about all different types of topics and it was just great to drop in with someone with as much robust knowledge as he has. And also for any of you that are interested in coaching yourself, he has some invaluable advice for you. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Rob Dial. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up is Eight Sleep. Now, Eight Sleep is taking a mattress and layering in some of the dopest technology that I've ever seen. Not only is it a mattress that adjusts temperature so it can get colder or hotter, but you can also hook it up to biometrics that help track your sleep stages and help you figure out what the temperatures are that you need and then adjusts automatically. Like this is some next level Jetsons type of shit. And the impact is remarkable. Eight sleep users are falling asleep up to 32% faster and reducing sleep interruptions by over 40% in the research done by Eight Sleep. That's huge. Sleep is one of those universal levers. When you can up-level your sleep, you up-level every aspect of your life. Your energy, your recovery, your clarity, your focus, your mood, your relationships start getting better. And this might just be the tool that you need to just give you that boost. A 32% boost? I mean, come on, that's huge. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Go to 8sleep.com slash amp. Spell out the word 8, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash amp. And check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkout using the promo code AMP. Next up, we have the cold plunge. So as any of you who have read my book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, know the cold plunge or cold shower practice is essential for my human optimization, really foundation. It's a way that I can optimize to level up both my physical body with the stress response, with the cortisol response, with the optimization of your hormone regulation that can happen while you dive and submerge into the cold. But it's also a way for me to practice mental override, for me to get myself to push past that initial resistance says, ah, it's too cold, I don't wanna get in. And then you get in and all the benefits start to accrue. And I become a different person at the end of the cold plunge than I was at the beginning of the cold plunge. And every successive time that I do it, I just get a little bit better in all of those categories. So one of the times that I was posting this on Instagram, one of the people watching was the cold plunge that makes the absolute most elegant and best cold plunge I've seen on the market. And I was busy diving into my converted chest freezer and they were like, hey, we got a solution that's way better. Let us show you what this thing is all about. And I'm so glad that they did because not only is this tub the most aesthetically pleasing tub I've seen, it has all of the built-in cooling, filtration, and sanitation to give you a stable temperature with circulating water in a sexy-ass tub. And it's also way cheaper than a lot of the other options out there, some of which still use ice. Like you have to import ice and get more ice and dump it in. And that's cool. It's fun to be kind of floating around in the ice. But this is the elegant solution that actually has everything comprehensively built in. And it's easy to get set up. You just fill it up with a hose and you can use a filter on your hose as well if you want to filter out anything that's in the tap water. And you just have a pristine cold plunge tub that looks great and is available 24-7 for your cold plunge practice. 
So I encourage you guys to check it out, not only for the benefits to your mitochondria and all the physical benefits, but also the benefits to your mind for that willingness to push past any resistance that you might have, train that mental override, train that willpower, and just check out their tub. If you're able to, this is one of the biggest things that I can recommend to really level up your practice across all levels. So go to thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp use the code amp for 111 dollars off and just check it out thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp use the code amp for 111 dollars off and share it when you dive in when you get in there share your experience we'll talk about it i'll be diving in so let's do this together let's all get a little bit better together and lastly we have on it man i've been busy lately and I don't know why. It's completely my own choice to be this busy as I am. But the fact is that I've hardly had time to get in the training that I like to get in. And that's where On It in 30 comes in because sometimes we just don't have a lot of time. But the benefits of working out are immense, not just for the body, but for the mind. Psychologically, when I work out, I'm in such a better mental state for the rest of the day and on it in 30 is that solution. It's a 30 minute workout, obviously up to the highest on it standard. So these are little mini ass kickers and they're phenomenal, led by our top coaches like John Wolf. So check it out. It's 10 workouts for under 10 bucks. It's got routines for kettlebells, body weight, mobility. It's awesome to have at your disposal. So go to onit.com slash Aubrey and you can save 10% on the On It in 30 program. So go to onit.com slash Aubrey to save 10%. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Rob Dial. Rob. Hey, buddy. We've traded seats. We have. And now here we are. One thing we were just talking about, mm -hmm. and it's something that we both firmly agree, is mm -hmm. that we come into life and we're an incredibly complicated animal. Yeah. And the operating manual for this animal is not provided yeah it's not that it doesn't exist yeah it's just that's not what we're taught yeah our parents don't know and certainly in school they don't give a fuck we're not taught how to breathe we're mm -hmm. not taught how to think we're not taught how to deal with our emotions we're just taught i mean yes learning how to read is important like in mm -hmm. the young and learning how to add you know basic multiplication tables and shit like that like that's all helpful but so much of what we learn is nonsensical yeah. compared to what the really important stuff is that we can learn about ourselves and learn how to navigate life. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So you got to think about it. We're given no manual for the brain that we have and they don't teach any of this shit in college. They don't teach any of it when we're younger. And it's like, I was talking with somebody actually literally about you the other day and how you were going and doing ayahuasca and someone's like, again? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you don't understand. Like there's still so much that we have to learn about ourselves. And I was listening to uh, interview not too long ago and someone was talking about literally the the fact that no matter how much you learn about yourself there's always like another level i had a a mushroom ceremony that i did when i was in sedona i was sitting by the creek and i had this whole visual of this rose that just never stopped blooming like it would just bloom and then the, the petals would fall off and then it would bloom again and it was like that's how your life is like whenever you find something new about yourself there's always another level to yourself that's deeper and deeper and deeper and i think the most intriguing thing that we can do is go, all right, well, let me learn about myself. Like, let me learn what my triggers are. Because if I'm triggered, I'm not free wherever it is. So if my mom says something and I'm triggered, 
It's like Ramdas says, he's like, he thought he was enlightened. And then he came back from India and his dad picked him up in the car ride. And he's wearing, he's got like his big long beard. He's got his white robe and his dad's like 15 minutes into it. He thinks he's like, you know, Buddha or Jesus almost. And his dad goes, <laughs> so when are you going to get a job? And he's like immediately was, was triggered by that. And it's like, you think that you have gotten to this level of like, I know myself. And then you start to learn more about yourself and you realize you don't know yourself at all. And mm -hmm. it's like, the thing that intrigues me the most is like, why am I the way that I am? Like, I'm, I, I, you seem like a very philosophical guy as well. Mm -hmm. Like I sit along in silence for a long time and just, I'm like, why do I think this way? Why do I have this, this tick? Why am I triggered by when people say this to me or when I act this way? And it's just like, what else are we supposed to do? Like we can, like for me, that seems like the reason why we're here is to fully discover ourselves. Yeah. And the way to discover yourself is by going deep into it and going, well, why do I work this way? There's no manual given to you of saying, hey, this is how Aubrey Marcus works. But when you go and do the ayahuasca ceremonies, you start to realize why Aubrey Marcus works the way that he does. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. I think people try to reduce a human being to a machine. And in a yeah. machine, if you could patch a software issue, it's fixed forever. Mm -hmm, right. You fixed it. It's <laughs> right. a machine. It's yeah. going to reliably, but, but we're not a machine in that way. We're constantly interacting with the environment. Mm -hmm. So just because I did ayahuasca when I was 30 and had a profound right. experience doesn't right. mean that accumulating all of those years, or it doesn't even have to be that many years. It could be a month. It could be a week. Mm -hmm. New interactions will come on. New energies I'll take on. New thought patterns. New viral programs mm -hmm. will, I'll take on. And so there's so much to clean. Plus there's even layers and layers and layers of depth they go all the way all the way down to your birth. Yeah. This was something I was talking about with my family yesterday. So Stan Groff, mm -hmm. who I'm sure you're familiar with at least in a cursory level, mm -hmm. he has a he has a theory about the basic perinatal matrices and he says so much of our life is shaped by what happens during our actual birth. Mm. And I was going through this, we we're going through all of us in the family and there's certain patterns that we haven't been able to really break. Mm based upon this. So it goes like this, and I'd love to dive into you and yeah, see yeah. if this applies. So BPM one, basic perinatal matrix, matrix one, is you're in the womb. Everything is good. Your mom's taking care of you. You're being nourished. The umbilical cord is supplying your food. You're swimming in this float tank of mm -hmm. endlessness. Of course, there are boundaries, but you're really contained and, and cared for, right? The heartbeat is there beating this kind of warm rhythmic heartbeat and of course there's tumultuous when the mother's stressful things can get chaotic mm -hmm. in there but generally you know this is a utopic experience for a young you know young infant mm -hmm. then the water breaks fuck all chaos your yeah. world is collapsing in around you yeah. your fluid home now everything is vacuum tight close to you and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and it's and the mother's in stress and it's all everything gets really chaotic the heartbeats becomes faster and more erratic and it's like what the fuck is going on it's like a horror movie it's a horror movie <laughs> it's a horror movie for a fetus then all right bpm3 so that's bpm2 bpm3 is the birth canal opens and it's like, oh, I know what I got to do. I got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. I got to get out of here and I got to fight. Mm -hmm. I got to get out of here. The mom's fighting with me. Mom's pushing. You're going. You got your head. You're like a torpedo. You're like, I'm getting out of here. I'm mm -hmm. fucking getting out of here. And so you move through that matrix. And then BPM4 is the ecstasy and agony of that first breath. <sighs> 
lights. Mm. Oxygen fills your lungs. It's cold. It's like this whole new world, your tiny myopic little world mm -hmm. where you're self-contained. It just bursts into all of this, wow, we're in a whole nother reality and whoa, I'm a separate being. You know, and it's that moment. So it's the ecstasy and the agony of that moment of separation mm -hmm. from the mother. So in a fluid process that all happens just kind of like that, you experience all of these things and you move through them with as much grace and love as possible. Mm -hmm. But for so many of us, well, first of all, the birth process is intense. I mean, that sure. BPM4, like I really have a lot of respect for the water births because it's just kind of a nicer rounding the edges a little bit because mm -hmm. you're birthed into a more fluid and there's kind of loving people around you, but that sterile, cold, hospital, fluorescent lights mm. being pulled, jabbed with a vaccine, like, fuck, yeah. it all went real bad, yeah. right? So that's like something that's pretty ubiquitous mm -hmm. unless you're doing a home birth. But e even still, you know, it's still like a fluid progression, but for so many of us, like myself, so let me talk about my story. So my mom goes into labor, you know, obviously great experience. BPM one's great. Water breaks. My mom's a, you know, she's ex pro athlete and she's a badass. So, you know, she wasn't she too stressed it. out. She's got this, gets to the hospital. Her doctor's asleep. So they have like a nurse who's trying to deliver me. And she's in excruciating labor, pushing for mm. like hours. It's middle of the night, mm. you know, starts at like 2 a.m., middle of the night. And it's not happening. It's not happening. And then so four hours later, mom's like, you've got to get the doctor. Something is wrong. Like I know myself, mm. I, it's not that I'm not pushing hard enough. Like I know myself. And the nurse is like, oh, okay. Goes and gets the doctor. Doctor comes in immediately. He's like, what the fuck? Like his head is stuck on her pelvis. It can't go out. Mm. It's like bones are stuck on his head. They can't use a forceps, doesn't matter. It's not soft tissue, it's hard tissue. So emergency C-section, I get pulled out. So my pattern is where I get stuck in my life mm. is that I will start fighting for something and mm -hmm. I'll fight like hell, but I don't believe that I'm going to succeed unless there's a divine intervention, mm, right? Really? So like, I'll go like hell and I'll fight and I know that I'm a fighter and I know that I will fight because I suppose that I was fighting with my mom and my mom was fighting and we were kind of in that synchronicity of we're fighting together, mm -hmm. but it didn't work. And so I have, I'll tend to go fall into this hopelessness like, it, no, it doesn't matter how much I fight. It's hmm. not going to work unless like some divine intervention, aliens, God, <laughs> something comes and happens, which is represented by this emergency C-section where yeah. all of a sudden like the fighting didn't matter and I was just getting rescued and yeah. pulled out. So that pattern has played out, you know, for my whole life where yeah. I'll fall into this feeling of hopelessness, like my fight won't work. And so- Do you think that's why you like psychedelics? Do you feel like it is almost like that- <clears throat> that that hand of God coming in and, and helping you? Do you feel like that's that relates in some way? I mean, psychedelics are definitely like the divine hand For helping sure. me. Um, maybe, maybe that maybe that plays and I never thought of it like that, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't put it past it. It's also it's interesting though, because especially like in this last ayahuasca, it is so fucking hard, man. For sure. It was so hard. I had to use every coping strategy. I had to tap and shake and vomit and sweat and self-soothe. I mean, it was beautiful because it forced me to adapt to incredibly difficult circumstances. But I was, it was kind of fighting and being rescued at the same time. So mm -hmm. it was like somewhere in between. So maybe it was smoothing the edges and maybe mm -hmm. that's what I need is I need to like struggle and be successful because mm. ultimately there was triumph at the end of these mm -hmm. like fuck i made it through yeah like i made it through it wasn't like ayahuasca was like 
and now it's going to be easy. It was never that. It was like hard, 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 hard until like I fought my way through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the hopelessness that I think is the thing I need to shed. And I think to really transcend that, you got to go into a full rebirth, mm. like a real rebirth, like deep down to the deeper layers. And maybe that's what I'm, maybe that's why I keep going too, is I haven't hit that full reset of that initial pattern that just just kind of stamped me with these with this sense so i would ask you i'd flip it around and see if it applies you know who knows so this is just stan groff's theory it yeah. seems to work for me but do you know anything about your birth process and can you Supposedly extrapolate for that? my mom it was pretty pretty quick and easy right but i also don't because it's it's interesting because as you're saying the you getting stuck from what i know i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't stuck in any sort of way and it wasn't really a, much of a hard process and then the second thing is like i don't ever i don't ever feel like I can't do something. Like there's right. actually the the opposite of, of what I want. It, it doesn't exist in my reality. Like, and I think that that's, that, I think that in my mind is, is like the secret to manifestation. Like people can say, and I love affirmations, they can meditate and they can visualize and all that stuff. But there's ultimately this, this subconscious underworkings. It's like, you know, I was talking with someone the other day, it's like conscious, subconscious, deep, subconscious where it's like we we can kind of understand our subconscious and then sometimes there's things that are so deep that we don't even know that are They're there deep unconscious so deep and that's usually what you come up with whenever you do some sort of psychedelics where it pops mm -hmm. up and maybe there is like seeing your birth, birth again or seeing something pop up that happened as a child when you completely forgotten that's like that deep unconscious but for me it's like i've i i've never i have this like hardcore belief in myself and i was also alone a lot as a kid you know, so like my parents, my sister's six years older than me. So by the time my parents, by the time I was nine, I was like a latchkey kid. I would let myself in, hang out by myself all the time. Uh, my parents, my dad was an alcoholic by the time I was nine. So he was always at bars or just disappeared. My mom was always working. And so I think through that, and then also possibly through the birthing process, bring this up, I've just developed this, I won't lose. Like yeah. my best friend says, he calls me, I'm like a cockroach. Like I just don't give up on things mm -hmm. because I don't see the opposite of what I want as a reality in this. Like I remember literally when COVID came out, I did a podcast episode in like March of last year. And I was like, I will not get it. I'm not going to get it. There's no fucking way on this earth I'm going to get it. <laughs> and I'm telling myself and my cells that if it does come in contact with it, I will not get it. The, they will kill off whatever right. it comes in contact with. You know, to this day, I still haven't gotten it. And I've not vaccinated, I'm not taking the best protection, you know, like yeah. I'll do what needs to be done. And it's not like I'm staying inside of my house all the time. Um, but I just, in my mind, it's just, there's never been an opposite of what I want. And I think that that's the key to to manifesting stuff. And from what I've been told, my birthing process pretty easy. I was in and out and yeah, I was gone. I think, that's, I think that's, see, for me, I'm always, I know how to fight, mm -hmm. but I'm always surprised when I win. Mm. I mean, not in like sports and stuff. Like I have a lot of confidence mm -hmm. in myself in that stuff because I've proven it in many different ways. Like mm -hmm. if I step on the pickleball court, I'm pretty sure I'm going to win. Mm -hmm. If we play ping pong, I'm like, yeah, fucking, I got this yeah. or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> but when like things with on it, you yeah. know, it was always like, whoa, this worked. Yeah. You yeah. mean like I'm going to win? Get, I do get surprised when I was like, whoa, sure. this is yeah. fucking wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And I, your birth process being so smooth there's no there's no imprinting and i think that's kind of that's beautiful and in, in a way it's just your imprinting has come from other sources so yep. because the process was smooth there's no place mm -hmm. which you're perpetually mm -hmm. stuck 
So you got your other, you got a whole, it's not like you get a free ride. You know, you got a whole host of other shit you got to deal with. I got got an easy birth because I got fucked later on in life. That's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. We all get our, we all get our struggles. And that's also one of the things that I really hate is when people say, easy for you to say, like, who the, how the fuck do you know anybody else's experience? It's all subjective. Yeah. Easy for you to say, Anthony Bourdain. Okay. He hung himself. Yeah. Right. Like easy for you to say, Mm. fucking whoever like what do you don't know yeah you don't know what's inside everybody's mm-hmm. struggle is subjective yeah and there's no way you can say this person's this but you don't know it's it's all like it's all internal yes there's really hard external things that people have had to deal with mm-hmm. impossible for us to even imagine mm-hmm. the external challenges that some people have had to face whether it's auschwitz or racism or mm-hmm. genocide or whatever is sexism to the extreme yeah. whatever there's awful shit i'm not trying to deny that but all too often we try to pretend like we know somebody else's experience. We don't. For sure. I saw, I think it was um, Gabor Mate. I saw a quote that he had yesterday and it was like, people think of trauma when they go back to it. Cause I, I love his stuff for trauma. I don't know if there's anybody else that's better in the world for the trauma. And people think of trauma as like, you know, and these are all trauma, verbal, sexual, physical abuse, you know, all of the stuff that you just named, those are all trauma. But the most common trauma is you know some form of neglect emotionally by someone's parents which mm-hmm. you don't see that physically on someone there's no scars which sometimes make those even harder to work through because you don't even they go into that unconscious and the subconscious where it's like okay i know that this thing happened to me because physically i have the bruise from it you know that might be easier to work through than something where it's like i didn't i didn't realize that i i went to a uh there's a friend of ours that are that's local here and he's like hey he's a relationship therapist he's like hey you and lauren should come in and just chat and i was like cool and we started chatting and i i had no idea he goes we started talking about childhood and my childhood like my mom's amazing she was incredible she's the strongest fucking person i've ever met and so i've learned everything from her in that way but because of the fact that my dad was gone so much she had to work to obviously to get us to live right and to be able to pay our bills and everything and um he goes yeah you were neglected and i was like no i wasn't neglected like there was nothing wrong he goes no you were emotionally neglected and i was like Oh yeah, that resonates. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I've never thought of that before, but it's not her fault. And it's like, oh yeah, my trauma comes from, you know, and I can see it popping up in different relationships of like, I'm not fully there because of the fact that I wasn't, didn't have somebody that was fully there for me when I needed somebody the most, yeah. you know? So it's like, but you don't see that physically on somebody's body. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that happens to people. And so when people are out there and they think, oh, my trauma is not that much, it could be, you know? Yeah. The game of comparing trauma is a is a losing game. For sure. You know, like you just can't. You just don't know. And you don't know how sensitive a person was. Mm. You know, it's like saying some people go to war and they come back and they're like, war was awesome. Mm. You know? And some people are like scarred for life. Deep for sure. PTSD, dissociations, same war. Mm-hmm. You know, same set of circumstances, but it's a different person. Yeah. You know, so we just don't, we just don't really know. So just having like respect for each individual's struggle Mm -hmm. i think it was east forest who you know reframes things and as someone's going through something challenging instead of trying to judge them and justify whether they should be going through something challenging or not just recognize on face value the challenge that they're going through and say wow that's a brave soul taking on Mm -hmm. this challenge because the challenge they take on individually is taking on that challenge collectively so i've i've I don't know if you've ever felt this way. When you get a few days into an ayahuasca ceremony, you look at the people around you and you're like, oh, 
I fucking respect you. Like the fact that Absolutely. you're still showing up to this. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like I've seen people go through, like they've been wrecked, right? And they still show up. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't know this person. Didn't know him four days ago, but like, I love this person for showing up. And they're like, you know, there's people that are, that are like the, the, the biggest personalities and the, the, the most badass hardcore people that is what they try to show on Instagram and all that stuff. They won't sit down and do an ayahuasca ceremony, yep. but you know, Sally, who's 66 years old is fucking showing up for ceremony three and four. Yeah. And I'm like, I love this woman. She's way stronger than any guy that tries to act like he's the, the biggest, baddest thing on Instagram and show stuff off. And it's like, you realize like people are stronger than you think, but they've also been through a lot more than you think, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it gives you, I think the journey of, of working on yourself gives you compassion for everybody. Cause you don't know what anybody's going through yeah. ever, you know, like, and I said this when you were on my podcast, but the, the thing that stuck with me the most was I went through four ceremonies and then uh, we had breath work, breath work, breath work the last three nights. And on the last night, the lady who was like the most quiet, sweetest lady, she, I went and did ayahuasca with my mom and she was like, I always talk with my mom and stuff. And she never shared at any of the, after any of the breath work, any of the, the ceremonies, any of that stuff. And she raised her hand on the last day and she's like, I've thought about killing myself every single month, sometimes, sometimes every week, sometimes every day, and sometimes every hour. And she goes, in that breathwork ceremony, I met my inner child and realized that when I kill myself, I kill her and I can never kill myself. Hmm. Like that it's it won't it doesn't even exist in my reality. You know, and you you see someone who's quiet and sweet and think, oh, they may not, may not have gone through a whole lot. But then you see that and you're like, this woman's been thinking about killing herself hundreds of times. Yeah, you know, you, you just can't can't not have compassion for people out there because you have no idea what they've gone through. Right. It's I think the one of the most valuable aspects of ayahuasca. Of course, the healing is profound. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to meet your inner child and see her and feel <clears throat> her, feel him, see mm -hmm. him, talk to them. Yeah, it's one of the many things. It's just possible. You can't go in expecting that, but it's possible. And all of these things are possible. It works in such a magnificent and mysterious way but the one thing that's reliable is that it's going to be fucking hard yeah and there's such virtue yeah. in the difficulty of it that's what i was thinking in the in the middle of it this was definitely the hardest sit with ayahuasca i've ever done more physically than emotionally or mm -hmm. mentally it was like i felt like i was a 110 watt bulb and ayahuasca was like how's 500 and i was like <laughs> no what the fuck i can't hold it and so yeah. it was like speaking in tongues and shaking and sweating yeah. and puking and shitting and like fuck <laughs> how do i get this extra 400 watts out of my system i can't hold it yes it's beautiful yes the yeah. visions are amazing yes i feel god all around me yeah but i'm like a fucking little light bulb and you're gonna explode yeah me yeah but in that i was like man how how rad mm -hmm. like how rad to go through something this hard yeah and then as i said like form those adaptations like i i developed a really sweet a really sweet and loving voice that i've never had mm. you know I, it's more i'm more in the in i lean more towards that kind of david goggins cameron haynes keep hammering stay sure. hard Me fucking too. push through you pussy yeah you know like, so I speak like to what's wrong with yeah. you like fucking <laughs> yeah anxious again you little yeah. bitch <laughs> you know like, like that's what my default is yeah. but in this that didn't work like yeah. i was like i couldn't i was too vulnerable i was mm. too stripped i was too like shaken and just thirsty and tired and i just mm. wanted a blanket and some lip balm and someone to like fucking wipe my face when the puke was everywhere mm. like i just and so the voice that came through was like 
it's all right. It's all right, babe. Like it's, it was like really sweet. It's like, it's all right, love. Like, mm. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know. I know. It's okay. It's okay. You're going to make it through like you always do. It's okay. Like, I know, I know, I know. And I'd feel it and feel it. And I know, I know, I know. It's hard. I know. Like, I know, babe. Mm -hmm. And it was like really talking like I would to like a, like a lover. Mm -hmm. And that voice was what got me through. And that voice is now, I can now hear it. Like when, you know, because I'm prone to feeling anxious. Like, am I doing enough for the world is going on? Yeah. And I'll have that voice come back instead of being like, God, anxious again? How much more fucking work you want to do on yourself? Right. You know, like maybe change strategies right. you know like this really aggressive masculine voice it said it's like okay i know i know you're anxious right now i know it's hard just just take some deep breath mm -hmm. that's a deep breath i'm like oh, and it's so nice you know but it's the it's the difficulty and making it through the difficulty that shows that you can go through the difficulty and then you learn different ways to cope with that difficulty so when life throws difficult things at us which it always does you're ready but how amazing is that that you <clears throat> now have this new little voice inside of your head to speak with you the way that you actually want to be spoken to, you yeah. know, because, or actually that you probably need to be spoken to as yep. well. You know, because I always think back to when I was a kid, like if you look at videos of me, there's a video of me on my my third birthday party and uh, my girlfriend was watching, we were watching a few months ago and she was laughing because like everyone else is playing and I'm in the sandbox by myself, just like playing with toys. I was just like a quiet, sweet kid that just like, brought my mom rocks and brought my mom flowers, you know? And it's like, how would you, how would you speak to that kid when he's right. really sick and throwing up? Probably the way that, you right. know, ayahuasca came into your head and started speaking to you. And then I've, I've developed over years of, you know, as a guy, you have to be hard and you have to kick ass and be strong and all of that stuff. And it's like, then you go through, for me, when my father passed away when I was 15, he passed away on a Thursday. I went back to school on Monday and I didn't tell anybody, not even my best friends. And so it's like, I've, I've learned to develop this, like, don't talk about it. Don't be yeah. a bitch. You know, nobody cries, any of that type of stuff. And so it's like, I, I have this whole, there, there's like real Rob. And then there's the Rob that I've developed. And mm. Rob, what's crazy is the Rob that I de have developed has gotten me to a certain level of success or whatever it is that you mm -hmm. want to call it in life. But then it only gets you to a certain place. And to get you to like the next level of it, it's like, I need to reintegrate the childhood Rob and rediscover that because that's what's actually going to get me to whatever my next version of myself is. The way I like to think of it, I'm very visual. Is like, you know, if you were to take and just draw a line straight up, it's like your birth is right here. And then all the way straight up, just a straight line as if you were to go through life and be perfect, nothing ever happens to you, right? Like that's like your perfect true self. But at some point in, in time, there's like a break. There's something that happens. There's a trauma and there's some, some sort of like fake self that takes us off course. Like this is who we truly are. It mm. takes us off course. And we go so far, some people never wake up to it. And then some people wake up to it and they're like, who the fuck am I? Yeah. You know, like, like it's like, uh, you know, uh, Jim Carrey talking about people that are in depression. Like, obviously there's, there's chemical imbalance and stuff, but a lot of times he says, it's just, you know, you just need deep rest from who you've become. Like, you don't want to play that character anymore. Like the, have you, have you seen Jim and Andy? Mm -mm. Oh my God, it's fucking incredible. So Jim and Andy is when, when Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman uh in the movie the man on the moon mm -hmm. and he plays as a method actor and he plays which means that he never breaks character so he's jim carrey playing a real life person who used to you know who died 20 years before but andy kaufman also played other characters so he played tony clifton and so what would happen is he would literally take on for three months four months whatever it was he never broke character of andy kaufman unless he was playing somebody else and so then what it gets real crazy where 
he died kind of abruptly, had some sort of cancer. I think it was like a lung cancer that he had. And his family, Andy Kaufman's family, comes in and has therapy sessions with Jim Carrey acting as Andy Kaufman, having therapy sessions. And so not only is he playing a character, he's literally having therapy sessions with the family of Andy Whoa. Kaufman, right? So he's like deep into it. And people are always like, what happened to Jim it's Carrey? Blurring the line between acting and seance. <laughs> right, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And so he's like, you know, so then what happens is the, the movie ends and he is like, all right, now I got to go back to being Jim Carrey. And he's like, who the fuck is Jim Carrey like? I don't remember what I like. I don't remember what I don't like. I don't remember what triggers me. I don't remember what pisses me off. And so people are always like, where did he go through this big spiritual awakening? It started on this movie. Wow. What's cool about it, they did a whole documentary. The movies are, the, as the movie's rolling, there's, the, there's the, the documentary happening at the same time. So you get to see what he's doing the whole time. But what happened was he woke up. That's like his waking up point of going, oh, here's where I, I actually would have been had I just gone to this path and perfect birth to amazing life to perfect death, most enlightening being, I come a light being and just disappear into the ether or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Rainbow out. <laughs> right, yeah, just turn into a unicorn, whatever it is, right? <laughs> but it's like he wakes up at this point and he goes, I gotta get back to here. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for, for people like us who have had some sort of awakening, if you wanna call it that, of like, I'm playing a character that's not who I truly am. It's like, I'm trying to get back to this before I die if possible. And I might never get back to like that straight line, this is my perfect being. But when you say that's who, that's the, the voice that you heard, that's the voice of little three-year-old Aubrey that needs to hear something. Like that's, yeah. the, you know, that's your mom coming in and saying, it's okay, sweetie, you're just throwing up, you ate something bad. Yeah, you totally. know, it's like, we need that comforting. And as men, it's kind of hard to be like, can you just speak sweet to me? Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? can I speak sweet to myself? But that's really what we need to kind of heal the last little, I don't want to say last little bit, but whatever it is that we're still well, working Well, it's good towards. to have both available. Like if I'm in a, if I'm in a hard kettlebell workout with Juan Leha and Tim Kennedy, yeah. like I'm not going to be like, it's okay, <laughs> hey, sweetie. I hey, know. Juan, can you speak to me sweetly, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's like, fuck it. Let's go. Like, yeah. Yeah. And a, so there's a place for all of those. Sure. And it's certainly, I don't want to you know, denigrate how it's actually helped build my life because it certainly yeah, has. It's sure. just, it comes with a cost and it's not always applicable. Mm. It certainly would have been, wouldn't have been helpful in the ayahuasca ceremony. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not helpful when I feel anxious throughout the day or I start to feel a little sad. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need tough love then. I just need love. Yeah. But one thing I really want to, I really loved how you're talking about is like the real, the real Rob or the real Aubrey. Cause mm -hmm. I've been really feeling that as well. Like there's a, there's a real us. And I feel like our mind actually insulates us from access to the real us. Because mm -hmm. if we get access to the real us, it's like the most powerful force that we have. Like, and so it's going to really dramatically change our life. Mm. You know, like if we really adopt the real us, and I could feel this in the last ayahuasca where I was, I stepped into the real Aubrey in night two. I stepped into the real Aubrey and it was fucking overwhelming. Mm. Cause I was like, fuck. It's not that I'm going to do anything outwardly different, but the person doing all of the things was so radically different that everything that I was doing was different. Mm. Every conversation would have been different. Mm. Every podcast was different. Every newsletter was different. Everything shifts, maybe just a little bit, 5%, 10%. I'm not that far off mm -hmm. the real Aubrey, but it was significant enough that every different direction I looked, I was like, fuck, hmm. how I love my wife, how I like show up for my family, how everything was different. And it was overwhelming. And it's almost so overwhelming. You're like, fuck, I can't, I can't step into the real Aubrey mm -hmm. right now. It's too much to handle. I got to ease my way. I got to like ease my way closer to it.
And then there's also some way in which if you give access to somebody else, to the real you, mm. <clears throat> it's scary. For sure. It's really scary. It's much easier to, if you give access to a projection, well, you can always trash that projection. Mm. Like, well, you think that about the the fake Aubrey? Fuck it. That's not that yeah. Aubrey's not even real. So fuck you anyways. Yeah. You know, you're gonna Oh, you hey. broke up with the fake Aubrey? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. That's not even the real one, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so, hurt by the fake one. Yeah, you yeah. can fucking dump the fake Aubrey all you want. <laughs> yeah. I dumped the fake <laughs> Aubrey. I dumped the fake Aubrey right now. Yeah. I dumped him before you dumped yeah. him. <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's really it's really like the the most vulnerable and powerful place to arrive. And uh and I think that's certainly an intention of mine is to mm. head into that. So where I'm really embodying that because there's a real freedom and aliveness to that i mean as as we're being the fake the fake version of ourselves, we're not fully connected with our heart which mm -hmm. is our true essence our mm -hmm. true center doesn't extend all the way through these avatars that mm -hmm. we build so we're not really living our life fully yeah yeah and from like a place of absolute love like that's it's scary because you know, I was listening to Ramdas, and Ramdas was talking about how you know when you love somebody, what you're actually loving is what they're bringing out of you. Like that, you know, when when we look at someone that we like deeply love, it's not that we don't love that person; we do. But what they're doing is they're showing us a part of ourselves that we have access to at all points in time. Right. Right. Like I think, and it was actually uh, I actually listened to the episode you had with Peter Crow, where he was talking about you and Sedona, right? Where it's like you you have, you don't want to lose that house because you had so many spiritual awakenings and amazing things out there. And he's like, that's just the house and that's just Sedona, but he, they gave yeah. you access to a part of you that's there all the time. And so it's about us being consciously aware of like, why can't I be in love with a person that's, you know, sitting on the side of a road asking for money? Like why, what, what would the truest version of Rob do right now? I have a good friend who is an incredible human, like one that I, that I want to be. <clears throat> and he will, uh, he, he like loves people more than anybody else that I know. And he'll, he'll give him a dollar and he'll look him dead in the eye and he'll go, hey man, do you need a hug? And then sometimes they say, yeah, and he goes, all right, cool. And he puts his car in park at a stoplight and will get out and give that person a hug. And then he'll go, hey, do you, do you need some food? Like, do you want to go get lunch or something? He said like 50% of the time they say yes. And he'll go take a homeless person lunch. And he's like, I, you know, he's like, I don't care about when I park my car, if I'm, if I get the people behind me late, like, because in reality, what are they seeing? They're seeing a person that doesn't know another person that people judge all the time, right. getting out and just giving this person a hug and then having them hop inside the car. Like that could be changing their day in some sort of way. And it makes me realize like, I've got so much more work. Cause there's a part of me. It's like, well, what if they smell inside of my truck? Like, I'm, you know what <laughs> totally. I mean? Like, they're, like they're, totally. And it's okay for all of the people listening. They're like, fuck, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like my passenger seat, well, right? you know, right? like it's all right. Like yeah. we all have those feelings. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like, how can I get myself to that level of, I don't care if they, if they smell at my truck, I don't care if, because what matters to me is like that other version, that person is just another version of me going through things that's probably even harder than what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And more than anything else, the only thing that's gonna fix, not only thing that's gonna fix them, but what will help them in this moment is by giving that person some love and realizing that somebody here wants them to be here. The true Rob and the true Aubrey and the true, what's your friend's name? Ta. Ta. You know Ta? Yeah, yeah Ta. Yeah. The true Ta. They are living always in the state of inner being mm. where they know, they know, that they are connected to all life, all mm -hmm. people, the earth itself. Like mm -hmm. we all know that. The true, the true version of us knows that. Mm. It feels it. It's it's always true. 
the fake version of us, the person, the ego, you know, the ego says, I am not all of that. And right. it's important to have the balance of both, but the true version knows that. And so we, when we take that action, it's because we know that's us. Mm -hmm. And in the service to us externally, we're serving us internally mm -hmm. because you cannot separate those things. Mm. I think this is also like a big myth with this self-identification. Like it's me, you know, me. And then there's the rest of the world. Who do yeah. I trust me? Well, who is you? Like yeah. right now, me and you are an amalgamation of humans because mm -hmm. we're both in each other's heart field. We're looking each other in the eye. We're mm -hmm. The mirror neuron effect is happening. I'm breathing we're, in your used oxygen. <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> we're merging to some degree mm -hmm. and also with everybody else in the room. Mm -hmm. Also, we cannot separate ourselves perfectly from our environment anyways, from mm -hmm. a scientific standpoint, from uh, certainly from a spiritual standpoint, from all of these standpoints. So softening the edges around individuality and recognizing our interbeing so when you're you know talking shit to someone on instagram like that's you man that's you <laughs> yep so it doesn't matter which side you're on there's a lot of polarity right now someone's like fucking sheep okay that's you they disagree with they, they're fucking super pro vax mandates sure. fine but it's still you like if you're trying to denigrate them doesn't matter and they're like saying oh you're fucking spreading this virus and killing yeah. my grandma like no it's i'm you yeah you know like this is the thing that this is the way to separate all of this like we have to abandon the myth of separation and recognize our interconnectedness mm -hmm. with that sense of love that's the that's the way out of this fucking gigantic polemic mess yeah and if you had that person's exact life you would think exactly what they think so if you if you look at somebody and you are pro or anti or whatever it is i have to remind myself all the time like Number one, I started unfollowing a ton of people just because I'm like, I, this is actually, I can feel the toxicity of even just certain posts that aren't supposed to, I can feel it, it's, whether it's them or whether it's me and the, my reaction to it, right? And I'm right. like, it's just not worth messing up my energy for the day. Right. And so um, if I would have had that person's exact life that I think is such an idiot that's that's thinks completely different than myself, if I would have had their exact same life, I'd probably think in exactly the same sure. as them. And there's and studies it, that show that, like the number one determination of someone's religion is their parents' religion. The number, sure. Like all of these things that we think are like, I believe in this. Yeah. Okay, why? Yeah. Because fucking everybody around you believed in yes, it. Yes, exactly. And it's like, you know, when you look at it and you're like, all right, so I don't know what they've gone through. Going back to what we talked about towards the beginning, like I don't know what they've gone through. Like that lady who, who had the breathwork ceremony and met her in her child, I don't know what she's gone through. So she might be, you know, super pro something that I'm anti- but she's gone through a lot of shit that I've never gone through. I've gone through a lot of shit that she's never gone through. And if we switch places, we probably have still the exact same thoughts. If I was her, I'd have her exact same thoughts and her exact same pro or anti. And she was in my situation. I've had the exact same one as well. So it's like, I don't know what they're going through. So my immediate thing that I'm trying to get myself to go to is just compassion. I don't know them. I don't know what they've been through, but I can still try to at least show them some sort of love yeah. and, and not fight it because if I fight it, that's not going to do anything. It's not going to make them feel better. It's not going to make me feel better. Right. So if I go and fight this person and on Instagram, <laughs> I've never been like, I'm so glad that I spent 10 minutes going back and forth that person on Instagram comments. Never. I've never been like, that was a great use of my time. And I feel amazing <laughs> right now after doing it. I have occasionally. Really? Only, only when with, with like loving patience. Oh yeah. I'm talking about like back will, and forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's a way that you can. And then someone will be like, 
hey man i'm really sorry for sure like, i just yep. had a fucking bad day yep but those are, that's like the rare exception mm -hmm. it usually it's just creating more right antagonism separation. and separation right right like so occasionally we should, we should you notice, can collapse it we should notice the separation anything that makes us feel separate from somebody else we should try to stop doing like it's pretty totally. much at its simplest right totally. if you want to put it that simple if i if something makes me feel separate from you then i should probably stop doing that thing because it's not yeah. making you feel better it's not making me feel better yeah and also there's a sticky fucking trap where we are constantly trying as the ego which only knows itself in relative position yeah. like that's the way the ego works it knows itself in relative position are you a good basketball player i don't know who's playing basketball right like the only way you know if you're good or not is comparing yourselves to the other players for sure right and so that's what we do as an ego comparing each other comparing ourselves to everybody else in life so we'll change the we'll figure find a new game all right this game is morality and this game is this how can i be better than that other person so mm -hmm. so many ways we're just thinking that we're arguing for our beliefs but what we're really arguing for is being better than someone else mm -hmm. and if you can take down someone who's admired or popular or whatever else mm -hmm. you know someone in the public eye oh you're better than them oh, yeah. oh i'm better than joe rogan because joe rogan's out there promoting ivermectin but i wouldn't so i'm Fucking better than horse him dewormer. yeah exactly <laughs> so then they get to say when they go after him they get to be better than joe rogan sure. and then that the ego likes that well he may have done all of these awesome things but i'm fucking better than him yeah it's come from a it comes from a lack of like you know self-worth is really what i think sure. it comes to you know if you look at it and i notice myself going oh i want to say this thing i want to compare myself really instead of somebody going out and saying oh joe rogan's doing xyz the best thing to do is go okay i'm noticing that i'm trying to bring him down yeah so that i feel above him the real question is when did when was the first time i remember feeling not worthy <laughs> right like, like that's kind of what we're going to is this it it's it's not that i need to bring him down and make myself feel better it's i need to go back to the immediate moment where i felt unworthy because i didn't get love from my mom or because i didn't get recognition for getting an a or whatever it is that somebody didn't get where they didn't feel worthy joe rogan's not the problem it's my lack of worthiness that i need to to work through and it's a lot harder to work through that you know it's I was having this conversation yesterday where it's like, it's a lot easier not to eat healthy, right? It's a lot easier not to work out. And to it's all of that stuff is either life is either easy now or hard later or hard now and easy later. And most people just tend to choose the easy route. Mm -hmm. And if people would be more aware of like, am I choosing the easy route by trying to bring this person down versus actually looking at the the core of myself as to why I don't feel worthy, I mean, that's, that's what really people need to get to. It's just a lot easier for me to go, yeah, you know, what an idiot. He just did this thing and what an, oh, he's, yeah. you know, he's got a $300 million contract for his podcast. Well, I just made him feel like an idiot. I'm above this guy who makes a shitload <laughs> right. more money than I do, right. right? What do you think? I mean, you're you're in the business of, well, of many things, but one of, the, one of which is coaching coaches. Mm -hmm. And the role of a coach is to help change people's lives, thought patterns, mm -hmm. ways to look at things. We're all in a time now where there's a lot of <clears throat> contention amongst mm -hmm. families, amongst friend groups. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to change someone's mind. And, yeah. But what is your advice for the productive ways to go about softening disagreements, mm -hmm. opening up channels? Because just yelling your thing and putting your study out or showing them just people yelling at each other, it does mm -hmm. not, it's not working at all. No. So like, what is your strategy what do you tell your coaches? What do you tell yourself for how to actually make meaningful change, mm -hmm. meaningful impact in the collective or one-on-one -on -one conversations? Yeah, well, this is good because it's not just, everyone's a coach in some sort of way, 
So whether someone's getting paid for coaching or not. So this goes to everybody who's in a relationship with somebody else in some sort of way, because it's essentially, even if you're not like, Hey, I'm a mindset coach or life coach or fitness coach or nutrition coach, you still have other friends that come to you and talk to you when times are hard sometimes. And really what people need right now is, and it's hard for me to say as a guy is it's not like fixing it. You know, it's like, Mm. you need to listen to other people first. I have someone who I'm really close with and their family is two sides, like hardcore. And you can show them all of the reasons why ivermectin has helped people and they don't even see it because they are on the other side that see something completely different, right? It's just a horse dewormer and all this stuff. I saw a tweet the other day. It said calling ivermectin a horse dewormer is like calling water uh, toilet bowl liquid. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it could be used for that, right? It's like, sure. But really what it is, is it's like the, the conversation that I had with them because I think a lot of people are going through this, is really what it comes down to is I've made my decision. So if I'm if, if it was my mom, which my mom is not this, she highly respects my opinion. I love her for that. But if it were my mom who was like, hey, you should do, I don't, I don't agree with you taking this and you acting this way and you doing this, you should, you know, wear a mask or, you know, if she took that side, if she said, hey, you have to wear a mask, you have to get a vaccine, all that stuff. I could just go, hey, mom, listen, I love you. I appreciate you for giving me this. And I know that really what you're coming from is you want me to be safe, right? Like what you want is you want for me to be safe. So I'm, I'm really telling her what she wants and making sure I'm clarifying it first. And then I'm just going to literally say, what I really need from you though, is I need for you to respect my, dep- my, my uh, decisions and not bring any judgment in. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend who was going through this really, really bad. And to, be, to actually tell you the exact same situation, this friend was taking ivermectin and her entire family thought she was going to die from taking it, right? So this is literally the exact situation happened last week. And I'm, I'm walking through this whole thing. Entire family thinks she's going to die from taking it because Rolling Stone put out a fake article saying that all these people are in the ER and stuff. Yeah, it got right? completely debunked. Right, for 100%, right? They put, they put a, it was a, the hospital debunked it. And then the, the doctor said they hasn't worked there in two years that they quoted on, the, on it, right? So they see this article and think that, oh my God, she's going to die. And so they look at this and like, she's going to die if she takes this stuff. And there's been, what's funny about it too, is it's not like this is the first time this has happened. This is just something else that's happened. It's been something that's been happening for years and years and years with this family, right? So really what it comes down to, and they kept going, well, we don't want you to take this. We don't want you to take this. We don't want you to take this. She goes, listen, it has nothing to do with ivermectin or the vaccine. It has nothing to do with this because this conversation has happened when I wanted to go travel to Nicaragua and you were afraid that Nicaragua is too dangerous of a place because the place that I was staying, it didn't have an address because Nicaragua doesn't have a whole lot of addresses, mm-hmm. right? Really what it comes down to is I'm my own sovereign being. I love you. I want you, I, I appreciate you wanting safety for me, but also at the same time, I need to be able to make my own decisions and I don't want judgment because I know that if I bring judgment to you, you're not going to feel very good. If you bring judgment to me, it doesn't make me feel good. So I know you want safety for me and I love you for that. But what I really need from you right now is just to uh, to respect my own opinions and my own decisions because I am going to do what I want to do. Yeah. So that's a way to create harm, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. a harmonious peace right. in a certain way. And a super good advice. Mm-hmm. And I think really that thing you were saying about like, what is the motivation? They just want her to be safe. And that's really it. just start with what you agree with. Mm-hmm and really like really anchor that in and really begin with an agreement like okay here's our agreement Mm -hmm. and even in this debate as it goes out out at large okay what's the agreement okay we want people 
to be happy, healthy, strong, and thrive. Mm -hmm. We have two different strategies for mm -hmm. that. One is going to trust the sovereignty of the individual, mm -hmm. trust their nutrition, health practices, trust all of that. And that's the way that we believe that people are gonna be happy, strong, and healthy. Mm -hmm. Okay, the other way is get vaccinated, you wear masks, you know, stay at home, mm -hmm. isolate from other people. Okay, well, we don't agree with that strategy. Mm -hmm. We think that strategy is putting band-aids on the real problems. Mm -hmm. And so, but but our motivation is the same. Yeah. We want people to be happy, strong, and healthy and thrive. Yeah. So if you really like anchor back to that, that's a great, like a great starting point. Great for, great for, you know, interpersonal dynamics. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, your interaction with the collective, just mm -hmm. to, to start with what you agree with. And even doesn't matter even the abortion debate like yeah. okay well we all agree that there's a there's a time where it's wrong mm -hmm. there's a there's a number of weeks where this is wrong mm -hmm. and we love life we both love life mm -hmm. you know these are all the factors okay where's your where's the how many weeks okay texas came out and said six weeks okay well that's not enough weeks mm -hmm. for me I'm, I'm more on the eight weeks and that mm -hmm. was an interesting thing that happened you know and this is a very complicated issue. For I'm sure. not trying to get into the actual meat of the issue. I'm just using it as an example because Texas came out and said six weeks is the cutoff, mm -hmm. right? And then there's a ton of people who are like really frustrated about it. A lot of, a lot of women, a lot of, a lot of other people. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, where would you put the weeks? And most of the women who are very like angry about this were like, I'd put it at eight. I was like, okay. Like, so it's not that far off right. you know it's like not like and meanwhile but meanwhile the internet is fucking going bonkers Crazy. right you know and but everybody's just like what we're talking about is there's a couple week difference here mm -hmm. of what we're what we're kind of figuring out and i'm sure some people are like zero weeks and they're whatever everybody's beliefs are but there's always a way like you can get to what you both agree with and then realize that the differences are just usually differences in strategy or differences in details mm -hmm so many more times but we can get all emotionally worked up yeah and feel like we're completely on other sides of the universe when really maybe we're not you know maybe we're actually we're actually a lot closer than we think and i believe that we are because sure. again back to point a we're all the same person living a different life so we're all fucking we're all in this together it's yeah. all all of this is just delusion thinking that we're so far apart right and left and black and white and pro-life or pro-choice and pro-mask or anti-vax or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck it's like we're really 99 percent on board with each other for sure and it's really what it comes down to is like <clears throat> can I, I and i think it comes a lot down to control which is like first time i did ayahuasca i realized my issue was control i had a control problem like it beat me up so bad because i didn't realize i had such bad control problem and you know if I'm looking at somebody else, who am I to tell somebody what they should and shouldn't do with their body? Either way, whether that is a mask or whether it is a vaccine or whether that is an abortion. Like, I all I know is I how I want how I feel the correct way to take care of myself is, and I'm going to go with what I feel is right. I'm not going to let any fear come in. I'm going to ask myself. I'm going to get present with myself and be like, hey, what do I feel? Like, I have a friend who's literally like, should I get a vaccine or not? And I was like, well it's completely up to you, man. I don't, I'm, it's, yeah. it's you. Like, what does your intuition tell you? Right. You know? And so I've had people that, that have taken it that I wouldn't think would take, but they said, Hey, when I took it, I had a long meditation. I gave instruction to this thing of how, what I wanted to do in my body. I was like, that's actually pretty beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've never heard somebody talking about that way. And I respect that. Right. And so it's, it's not about me telling somebody what they should and shouldn't do with their life because 
who the fuck am I to tell anybody? Like, what if I was like, Aubrey, hey, you have to eat a burger for lunch today, right? <laughs> like, it would be, you'd be like, that's ridiculous. Why is it any different when I'm trying to tell somebody else what to do with their life in any other way? It's like, yeah. I it's don't It's so feel... much different than saying like, there's burgers available if you want one. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah right. Actually, I yeah, do. I actually do want a burger. <laughs> no, you're going to eat a fucking burger today, Aubrey. Is, you know what I mean? It's like, it just, and you're going to eat I a burger. I burgers, to, bro. Yeah, and you're going to eat a burger right tonight. Now. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to resist it. And so yeah. it's like, for me, it's like, how can I look at somebody? And I'm not a master of this in any sort of way. Like we are two imperfect individuals talking about a path that we're on and trying to get better, right? So that's the beautiful thing about it. It's not like I'm like, yeah, I have love and compassion for everybody. And I, you know, think everybody should do what they want. And like, I, I, I find myself getting stuck all the time. And, and that's the beautiful thing about life. And going back to like you saying, like, you know, you're not the same person at 30, so you've done ayahuasca a lot of times since. It's like, you still have things that you're working through. We all do. But what happens is we become aware of these things. And then a lot of things that I see when people start getting in the road of self-development is they become aware of stuff that they're not aware of. And now they bring judgment on top of that awareness because they're like, I should be past this. I shouldn't be doing this. I right. shouldn't be acting this way. And it's it's not like that. It's like the 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 simplest form of where I say self-development is and just self-improvement, self-development, whatever people want to call it, is when I was younger, something would happen to me and I'd be triggered and I'd be triggered for an entire week, right? And I'd be pissed. Oh, I can't believe she said that to me. You know, what a bitch. I can't believe she did this. And, you know, I can't believe that person acted this way. And I'd carry it on for days and days and days. And then I started reading and hired coaches and going to conferences and started doing meditation and psychedelics and working on myself. And then a few years later, I went from seven days to now I'm only triggered for four days. And then I work on myself for a few, few more years and now it's only one day and it, it ruins an entire day, but it doesn't ruin an entire week anymore. And then I keep working on myself a little bit more a few years and now it's like an hour I'm triggered. And then it's 15 minutes I'm triggered. And what we're all trying to get to, at least me personally, is the same thing happens, I'm not triggered. Mm. And it, it means that there's nothing externally that can, that can mess with this internally. And that's really what it is. It's not about this thing happens and then I become judgmental on myself. It's like, there it is again. I, I always say it's like, you know, when you go to a party and there's that one person that's like the friend of the friend, you're like, oh, fuck, they're here again. Like, you don't, you, know, you were hoping they weren't going to show up. It's like, that's what that trigger is for you. Oh, that fucking guy showed up again. And it's like, I'm probably going to leave the party early this time, right? That's kind of what self-development like. was like, all right, I'm going to stop going down this route. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, we're all messed up. We're all trying to get better. It's like, why would I judge somebody else's path than what they decide to do? Because I'm just going to try to see if I can give them some sort of compassion for what they're going through. And I don't think that anybody needs another opinion of what they think that they should do. The The point about being triggered is, you know, I think a lot of times people think, well, I don't get triggered because I'm just so not available. I have so much armor of mm. the false self mm -hmm. around me mm -hmm. that you can't even touch the real self. And it's the real self 100%. that gets fucking really mad anyway. Mm -hmm. So fuck it, you know, like, and you become insulated and isolated. And no matter what someone says, it, it just kind of, it maybe sticks in the, the thick tree bark protecting mm -hmm. like the, the heart of the tree, which mm -hmm. is your true self. But that's not the way. The way is the way is that you're on another vibrational level where you're just at another octave so anything that's coming at this lower octave it just passes right through the tree you're mm. like oh you were shooting that dart at me oh i'm sorry i'm not here it's like punching a ghost mm -hmm. like whoops yeah sorry not here not yeah. here to be not here to be wounded you know i know myself and i love myself and these reflections because that's the hard part you know what we really suffer from is we learn we come to know ourselves partly through the reflections of other people 
And the more reflections of other people we have, the harder it is to transcend that because we're constantly getting reflections back from other people Mm -hmm. who are looking at us and don't see through the shiny exterior. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking like looking in all of these mirrors and then we get addicted to looking in these mirrors, just like we get addicted to looking in the mirrors in our bathrooms or on our Instagram page, how many likes we got. We get look at all of these other mirrors and then we start to lose the true gnosis of who we are Mm. and that's the in that's the place of real invincibility Mm -hmm. you know where we can't be vanquished is when we really know who we are and we just know that all of these all of these reflections are all some form of illusion Mm. like it's very rare that anybody's going to see us completely and hopefully we have a couple people like that yeah who like really see us real intimacy real into me see yeah. Like fucking wow, we see each other. That's why in Avatar, I love that the highest thing that they could say to each other in the Navi people was, I see you. Mm. It's like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing, but it's very rare. Mostly, because we hard we can hardly see ourselves, first yeah. of all. So there's delusion number one. We don't even can't even see ourselves straight because we have too much judgment of ourselves and we've taken on too much conditioning from the world. And then we expect some other person who can't even see themselves to see us perfectly when we don't even see ourselves. 100%. No fucking way. Yeah. So like ultimately we're in this hall of mirrors Yeah. and that's what makes it hard. So someone changes their opinion of us and then we are like, oh God, I don't like what that mirror is showing me. But really the path is if we really, really know who we are. If we really know who we are, then all of the mirrors don't matter. It's just like literally walking through a fun house mm-hmm. you're like oh wow this one makes me look fat this one mm-hmm. makes me look skinny this one makes me look really tall look at this yeah. i look like a badass oh, yeah. oh this fucking instagram filter makes me look like a gangster mm-hmm. you know this instagram filter makes me look like i have perfect skin and big eyes and all cute like mm-hmm. we just know that we're applying a filter but we're mm-hmm. not lost in the filters we like know who we are yeah and that's the place it's um <clears throat> it's interesting because if you would have talked to me like 15 years ago there was a point when i literally thought to myself because you're talking about putting the armor up I literally thought to myself, like, am I like completely unempathetic to other people? And there was a point where I was like, maybe I'm like psychotic or something like that. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel anything from other people. And what I realized that the people who, who think that they literally don't feel anything and they're completely, they're, they're not empathetic to other people around them, I think are actually usually the feel the most they're just trying to block it off. Yeah, because what really I've sensitive people. A hundred percent. I've found, like, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago, if you would have come up to me, I would have been like, "Yeah, no, I don't, I don't feel other people's energy. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of empathy for other people because I was so closed off." I've come to realize I'm about twelve seconds from cl- crying at all points of time. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm so close to crying all the yeah. like, like I tear up in movies more than my girlfriend does a hundred percent. Right. And then there's a part of me that's like, I got to stop. And then I'm like, well, why do I have to stop? Like right. what, who said, like, where did that come from where I have to stop? And I've, I realized I got it from my mom. My mom is very emotional too. Like she'll, she's about 12 seconds from crying at all points in time. So a lot of the people that are, if they're this connects with anybody that's out there where you feel like, oh yeah, but I'm just tough and I don't understand. I don't feel this with people. I've said this to people that I've coached before in the past, one lady that's in my mastermind specifically, or she's like, I just, I, you know, and we've been working on it for over a year. She's like, yeah, you know, like I just, I don't feel people, I don't understand it. She's, you know, I'm just so hardcore. I don't understand what people are going through when they bring in all of this like, like soppy shit. And now you talk to her and she's like, I, I feel it, I get it. And I said to her at one point in time, it's, I said, the reason why you don't think you feel anything is because you're actually trying not to feel the most. And she's like, oh shit. 
yeah, I think you're right. And there was like mm -hmm. something inside of her that made her go, yeah, you've got to protect this because whatever this feeling is, it's not safe. There was something that happened to her when she was younger that that wasn't safe to show her emotion. And then so for me, like the longest time, and this is something that literally popped in my head like three weeks ago. I was like, I was thinking about it. I was out on my back porch. And I was like, why was it so like, why, why do I have to feel like I have to close off my emotions? Why do I feel like I can't cry? Why do I feel like I can't be this way? And I was thinking about it and I was like, when was the first time that I had to disconnect from my emotions? And I asked myself that question. I sat there for a while. And I remember, I don't know if it was the first time, but a memory popped up in my head. I was probably eight years old. And it was when my mom and my sister were on the couch over to the left and I was in my dad's chair to the right and something happened. I don't even know what happened, but I started to cry. And they thought that it was a fake cry. Like I was putting it on mm. so that I would get, you know, they would feel bad for me. So it was manipulative. Yeah. Right. They thought I was manipulating. I wasn't. And then I remember running off to my sister's room and because I didn't have a room. I slept on the couch when I was a kid and uh, until about 10 years old. And so I ran in my sister's room and as I was running away, I could hear them being like, he's so dramatic. And I remember crying on, on the bed and thinking to myself, why don't like... I'm not faking this. I, why, why don't they understand me? Like, I, I'm not trying to get any, but like, why is this wrong? What I'm doing is wrong. Yeah. And I remember being like, that could have been the place where I shut off. Right. You know? And then I learned, you know, you can't, if, with, with two of the people who are, you know, supposed to be there to protect you, if they can't even accept this emotional side of you, nobody in this fucking world is going to be able to accept that side of you. Yeah. So I've got to build up a false identity, you know? And that's, what I built. And so now I'm like trying to pick pieces of those bricks away so that I don't have this wall in front of me anymore. And if I do cry, I cry, mm. but there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, what's crazy about it too, is all so many times, I'm sure you've seen it before in your mastermind, man, where somebody will say, they'll start crying and then they'll say, I'm sorry. Yeah. For Why sure. the fuck do you need to say you're sorry for crying? <laughs> for sure. Like for it's, you don't say you're sorry when you laugh, do you? Sure. It's like, it's, it's a natural human emotion. Why is it wrong for you to sit there and cry? I'm going to hold space and let you let you process whatever you need to process. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a gift. Up. It opens up. It opens up a level of vulnerability. It's yeah. like all of a sudden the container gets really rich. Mm. In an ayahuasca circle, the mm -hmm. first person like there's all the shares, and then that first person shares that hard shit, that mm -hmm. deep shit, mm -hmm. and then every share after that mm -hmm. goes into the real shit. You know, it like takes that first person to break into it, mm -hmm. and then you know if you're one of the people that actually came through before that, you're like damn my share was lame <laughs> you know, yeah. like, i didn't say I didn't, what i wanted to i didn't say. get into the deep yeah. stuff you know i just talked about the visions that i saw or like whatever else yeah. and now now this whole container is set and i have shit that's on my heart that's really there that mm. i didn't bring up you know yeah. so it's a yeah it's a gift one of the techniques that i use actually you know when i'm coaching other people in fit for service mm. or wherever is in that moment that you're talking about which is really, you know, key. And I love that question that you're asking, which is, you know, when was the first moment that you mm -hmm. felt this? And if people can bring up, you know, what age was it? You know, usually I'll ask what age first. What age was the first age that you started feeling like mm -hmm. your emotions weren't safe or your emotions, you know, that people around you couldn't hold them. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, uh, seven. Okay, think of an event that happened when you were seven. You know, go through that. And mm -hmm. then I'll then they'll get to that and then I'll say, All right, so you know, see your seven year old self. And then I'll go through like kind of like a guided meditation. Like, what does that seven-year-old need? Mm -hmm. You know, what do they need? And, you know, for you assuming it'd be like, well, they need to be seen. They mm -hmm. need to be, you know, saying like, I see you. I know it's hard. Like, again, like that. I was going to say parent, the voice. The, the That's voice. what they needed. You know, they yeah. needed that voice. Like, I know, I know, sweetie. I know mm -hmm. it's hard. 
you know, I hear you and blah, blah, blah. Like that's what, that's what that person, that version of you needed. And then sometimes I'll, there'll be like a gift exchange where I'll be like, okay, so what can you give that version of yourself, that seven-year-old something, mm-hmm. you know, at work. And sometimes they give something to the older version of you. And then ultimately you invite them back home. Mm-hmm. You invite that, that younger version back home to the self where you're at right mm-hmm. now. It's like, okay, are they ready to come home? And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they need more coaxing and sometimes they want to stay. Mm-hmm. Like that seven-year-old is just not ready to come home, but you'll just keep working with it. But there's something very powerful about, because as you said, there's like fractures, mm-hmm. like little fractured elements where parts of ourself get stuck. Mm. And they and just, just gently guiding them back to the tree, back yeah. to that true self tree yeah. on the straight line, the remokaspi of like the golden tree that's going mm-hmm. straight up in the air. And like inviting that that version back in mm-hmm. to the tree trunk, I found to be really powerful. Yeah. As you're speaking and you're talking about it, <clears throat> literally the the voice that you heard when you were going through your ayahuasca ceremony is I think the voice that everybody needs to hear right, right now. Right. Like that, like what are, what are most people in some for I mean, and we can even talk about it. like there's there's some people that are in complete fear of their life. There's other people that we're friends with that are complete fear that you know, society is going to completely collapse and they're prepping just in case the apocalypse comes, right? So it's like, there's both sides of people being in complete fear of something. And so really what it comes down to is like, it's that that voice of like, it's going to be okay. And what I've been trying to prep myself with at least is if society does change, how can I be unattached to it? Like mm-hmm. imagine like we've both done decently well in life, right? Imagine if shit does hit the fan and all of this money, these things that we've accumulated, these dollars in our bank accounts switch and we're not able to use American dollars anymore. It's going to change a lot of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And so my whole thing is like, if that did happen, I don't see it happening, but if it did, how can I be at peace with it right now, even if it did happen? Like, how can I just be unattached to it going, okay, like I'm, I trust that the reason why I'm here is, is not to just, you know, accumulate these things into a digital bank account, which are just digits on a screen. It doesn't even really exist, but I, I think there's something there for me. And if it does disappear, it's what was supposed to be given to me because there's something else I'm supposed to be guided to. Right. And it's in, for me, it's like, if, if everybody does die from COVID, you know, it happens. How can I be unattached to it, even though that's not what I want? If the apocalypse does come and we have to be fully prepped for six or 12 months or whatever it is, okay, it does happen, but how can I be fully unattached to it and just be like, okay, whatever happens, and it really comes down to like the trust of like, do we actually trust that God or the universe or source has like, what's happening is what's happening for me, Mm -hmm. right? If that thing does happen, sure, we can be prepared for it, whatever side that you're on, but can we just go, you know what? It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's going to be fine. There's some, if, if the society shuts down, there's no more food or something like that. There's probably some intuitive thing inside of my brain that knows how to be able to create fire from sticks. You know what I mean? There's yeah, probably sure. something that knows how to hunt. You know, I did get a, a, a bow and start practicing that. So I'm like, all right, you know, I don't have to worry about ammo because I got a bunch of arrows. So, you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. going to be able to hunt for myself. There's deer that pop up in my backyard. Yeah. I don't want to kill those deer, but I'll kill those motherfuckers if I need to eat. <laughs> right? So, so it's like, how can I be unattached to whatever comes? I can just roll with the punches and it's going to happen. Yeah. Collapsing those fear states is, yeah. is really, is really crucial. I mean, yeah. I think it's such hell to be living in this perpetual fear. And I think that's why we draw our fears towards us, partly because a fear is a belief in something negative that's yeah. happening, right? It's depending on how afraid we are is how much we actually believe it's gonna happen. But being in this kind of 
purgatory, this bardo of fear is hell. Yeah. So if you can actually get to the place where you collapse the fear by putting yourself in the state where it's already happened and being like, oh, I'm okay with it. You mm-hmm. can dispel the fear, stop drawing it towards yourself and be in equanimity. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the great benefits of ayahuasca is we're all terrified of death at the start. Like that's the scariest thing of all. Well, they call ayahuasca the vine of death or the vine of souls largely because it's going to put you in confrontation with your greatest fear, which is death. Mm -hmm. And so you have to become at peace with that. And I think that's something that's, you know, we see like people are afraid of a variety of different things and fear of death on one side is certainly there. And Mm -hmm. for other people are like, I'd rather die than give up my liberties and my freedoms. Mm -hmm. And like, so they're just terrified of their freedom being taken away. Mm-hmm. But then you can also point to, you know, the Viktor Frankl understanding, which mm-hmm. is the last of the great human freedoms is the ability to, you know, choose our mindset for any given circumstance, right. you know. Yeah, that's not exactly the quote, but the same idea, right? So there's a way to collapse all the fears of all of the things. So no one can change the way my mind works. Mm-hmm. And if I die, I'm not really dead anyways. Yeah. You know, like I've yeah. I've been there and so then you can be at this kind of in this peaceful place. Mm. For me, the fear, and I can get to both of those places. Obviously, death is a dispreferential reality, and you know, getting all my freedom and sovereignty taken away is a dispreferential reality. And don't want to be in a police authoritarian police state. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound good either. But the the fear that I still struggle with is really this self-generated fear of I'm not going to do enough. I'm not going to do enough. Yeah. You know, like I'm here with all of these resources, all of this mm-hmm. capability, and I'm not going to do enough and I'm going to fail my purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's like, that's the, that's the thing that's just the hardest to shake. Yeah. That's the know? same way. I have the same one. Like for me, it's like, <clears throat> are there other fears that are ancillary and they're out there? For sure. But mine is, I don't want to get to, you know, my grandfather not, died at 95. I don't want to be 95 in my deathbed. Like it was a beautiful, I was in the room when he died. Um, and I had never been in the room when someone died and that's a pretty incredible experience to go through. Um, but the whole family came, it was, there was nothing terrible about the death. Like he died in his sleep. I heard him take his last last breath, you know, and I was like, that's the way to go. Right. But essentially, if you, if you look at that, it's like, okay, I I don't want to get to the end and be in his situation and go, man, there's more that I could have done. Like my biggest fear is the fear of regret as well. Mm Mm-hmm. But then it goes back to, and I think we might have said this on my podcast. I, I read an article or a, a quote that that said, you know, what if the purpose, because what you said is, did I live out my purpose in some sort of way you said? And what makes me feel good is what if the 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 purpose of your life was just to simply smile at that person because that's what they needed or to open the door for them or to say, hey, I really like your shirt. And that at least clicked them out of this thought of having suicide. And they go, oh, maybe life is a little bit better. And what if what if we're trying to make our purpose to be this huge, massive thing. And it was never supposed to be this huge, massive thing. And it's all just a game of play. And, you know, like you say, we're just pleasure monkeys. Like we're just, we're just, Mm -hmm. we're supposed to hear just to experience and have this amazing thing. Like what if the purpose was to not go in? Cause I deal with this as well. Like I'm, I make shitloads of podcast episodes and try to get views because I want to help people because I get the messages of being it helping them. And so I'm like, there's always that thought in my mind of who hasn't seen it that would get me who, I just got this amazing message from somebody this morning, right? And this guy was talking about how he was thinking about committing suicide and all kinds of stuff. And I sent him a voicemail back through Instagram. 
what if there's another person that came out there that needs to hear the same episode that he heard? Yeah. And it's like, what if I don't get to them in time? Right. And how can I get my message out there more? And it's like, what if instead of thinking that way, it's just like, you know what? I've already fulfilled my purpose of being here. And all of this is just play anyways. And the way that we decide to play is through speaking into microphones and cameras. Like that's our play. Mm -hmm. Other people's play might be a little bit different. And it's like, I come back to that of like, you've already met your purpose. You know, like you've already done, like Aubrey, you've already changed the world the way you're supposed to. Now it's just to fucking get, just have fun with it. Yeah. You know, like for me, it's like, all right, I can, I can breathe again. Like when I work with my coach, like there, I have a, a coach that I work with and one of the things that we talk about, he's like, well, you know, how does that, how does that feel? Like, what is, what is the word for that? And I was like, there's no word whenever work things like the word, the thing I always come back to is like, like that's, that is what I'm trying to feel more of. Cause I will get myself stressed out of like, I need to go do more. I need to create more content. I need to change the world more. What purpose have I not fulfilled yet? And he's like, well, what do you want to feel? And I was, I was just like, I just want to feel, you know, cause I felt like throughout a lot of my life, I felt like I'm addicted to stress. You know, like there's a lot of things that happen in my life. I think I just kind of became addicted to the feeling because those adrenaline cortisol was ramped up in my body with yep. stuff that happened with my oh, dad. Yeah, super addictive. Yeah. And so, so I've, I've come to realize like I have searched for things unconsciously or in that deep unconscious we're talking about before for me to become stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've, I have find things for me to get stressed. I have created a, a conversation in my head to perpetually keep me stressed mm -hmm. <laughs> and it fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. And what's the opposite of stress? <sighs> like that feeling of just like, ah, oh, surrender, let go. And so I consciously will notice myself get in that, that feeling of like, I'm supposed to be doing more. So it's creating more, like our company should be making more money. Like it's doing great, but it's, I see so much bigger of a thing that it could be. And it's just like, all right, man, like you've already done it. Yeah. You know, like just relax. Everything's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I come back to also for one breath is the antidote mm -hmm. to all of this anxiousness sure. and all of this stress, you know, like that's, it truly is. And whether you're talking to Huberman or you're talking, or just looking at the old pranayama, mm -hmm. you know, wisdom that's been around for thousands of years, it really is. So yeah. getting back to my breathing, that's something that I remind myself deep breaths through the nose and just like get back to that and continuing to remind myself to breathe deep through my nose into my belly like throughout the day mm -hmm. that's one that's one strategy and then yesterday especially with now it feels like the world needs the world needs more from me than ever before mm -hmm. before it was like yeah all right yeah, spirituality self-improvement human optimization like these are all valuable things but it's like these are valuable things in times where everything's kind of chill but now yeah. it's like things are fucking chaotic people are at each other's throats there's arguments on both sides separation is at an all-time high mm -hmm. we're heading towards potentially dangerous you know social dynamics mm -hmm. so it's like fuck i gotta do more right and like i had this deep meditation where i just realized like actually all of this that i'm trying to worry about externally like just focus that back on me mm. like just start to really heal myself mm. instead of worrying about healing the world as a slightly broken and stressed out person mm. like just heal yourself man mm. like heal yourself and watch your actions and watch everything you do be a natural emanation that emanates out of course i'm still going to podcast i'm still going to do everything but it only works 
from a healed place. Mm. So just fuck all this. Because I kept trying to think, like I have a couple different intentions for this meditation. One, I'm going to figure out what I can do for myself. And two, I'm going to figure out what I can do for the world. Mm -hmm. And I I just got stuck on one. And mm -hmm. every time I'd go to the world, you know, the, the guidance would come back and say, no, 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 stay with <laughs> intention one. Mm -hmm. Like focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the rest, like the world, the stuff you do for the world will all sort itself out. But you have to like heal yourself as you know the ocean in a drop rather than the drop in the ocean like recognize that you hold the collective like really trust your state of inner being and if you heal yourself completely you heal the world completely so funny because literally right before we started this podcast <clears throat> we're talking about coaches and i'm like yeah most people become coaches because they're actually trying to heal themselves by healing other people. Right. And we're fucking literally the exact same <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> like totally. we literally, our issue is we want to do more when in reality we should do, do more for other people. In reality, we should just do more for ourselves, and that will heal other people more, yeah. right? I'm curious, is there ever a time when you, um, when you felt like you weren't doing enough? Like if, if that's the feeling. Yeah, my if whole you're, life. <laughs> <laughs> is there a moment where you're like, fuck, I, like that you remember when you were younger of like this, this like visceral feeling of like, I'm not doing enough and that kind of like, just clicked in and been, it's been perpetuating since there was there was a lot of moments of that that was just such a it was such a constant state it's hard to it's hard to figure out where it really happened mm -hmm. i think actually i think i can though actually mm -hmm. now that i think about it so i went on a family trip to italy mm -hmm. with my with my parents in uh i was a freshman so ninth grade and we went to visit the dungeons of the inquisition mm. and it coincided with me moving to texas from california and texas back then in 93 or whatever was like far more i guess it was more like 96 95 um far more christian mm -hmm. than my california upbringing mm -hmm. you know so i was in like a new kind of much more christian reality and then i went to go to italy and I went to the Dungeons of the Inquisition and it was fucking horrifying. Like absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Like 70% of all of the torture devices had to do with someone's genitals. And right. the other ones haunted, they still haunt me to this day. There's this one thing that like, you like shackle people in this particular position that like breaks your back and like, and like, like bursts your hamstrings, mm. you know? And I'm like, to like leave someone in that for days mm. until they die i'm like what the fuck man yeah. like awful and the inquisition was of course out there and it was led by the church and they were finding quote heretics people mm -hmm. who didn't believe in the church or whoever they didn't fucking like and then torturing them mm -hmm. in this way you know so people who were into the plant medicines of the time mm -hmm. the witch quote witches mm -hmm. who are just out there healing people and fucking working with energy mm -hmm. and whatever, or anybody who had any different beliefs, horrified by that, came to Texas. And then I saw what capital R religion, of course, it's not to that level anymore, but it was so many people were just shackled and riddled with so much guilt. Mm -hmm. We're coming into our own sexual, you know, our sexual spring mm -hmm. in, in high school. And there were so many people who would like have an experience or start to masturbate and be just crushed with shame and mm -hmm. like, or like, be with their lover and for the first time and it mm -hmm. was just like i and just awful things like a, like this girl was just sobbing to me because she had sex for the first time lost lost her virginity and her religious boyfriend was like you whore how did you tempt me to oh have sex you know like all of this shit and i was like this is fucked so and i was always like a really deep thinker and philosopher from 
early, mm-hmm. like always exploring like big issues in writing. At that point, it was like, I have to, I have to like attack and dismantle capital R religion. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I can do it. Like right. I can fucking do it. Good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> but I think that was the moment where I felt this like deep calling mm-hmm. and, um, deep calling like i have to fix these problems in the world now of course i'm actually much closer to being a christian i have a deep affinity with christ at mm. least the mystic gnostic mm. understanding of christianity now so my you know vehemence towards religion has really changed mm. because i have deep admiration of the mystical truths of all of these religions whether it's the kabbalah or whether it's gnosticism mm-hmm. or whether it's like the true you know ted decker interpretation of the meanings of christ mm-hmm. or whatever else it might be so my that still isn't there with me, but that was the first moment where I felt like there was a big problem in the world and there was an infinite amount of things that I could do that would still never be enough. For sure. You know. And so I think that was that first feeling of like, fuck, there's there's a big problem and no matter how much I do, it'll never be enough, but I gotta just keep doing the maximum. Yeah. <clears throat> it's hard because you're talking about trying to, you know, Obviously, you have a much better relationship with it now, but you're talking about trying to tackle the biggest thing that there is in this world, right? Like Christianity is bigger than bigger than the United States as far as how many people are into it and all that stuff. And I'm the same way as you, where I have, I I, I tell people I am uh, I am redevel- I'm redeveloping my relationship with Jesus, right? Because there was mm-hmm. there was a long time where I was like, fuck that guy, right? Like like just <laughs> right. the just the word God or the word Jesus would internally make me be like agitated right and i went through like my own journey as well of like i was my mom was raised catholic she went to catholic school with her you know one of six kids when she was younger so then i went to you know catholic church which had some ptsd from catholic church i think most people do Mm -hmm. you know because my whole thing was like no no matter what i always felt like i was doing something wrong because i was always being watched right so i'm four five six years old trying to think everything that I'm doing, is this what God wants me to do or is this wrong? Like, is this, is this, am I, and so it's this constant thought in the back of my head. Like, like I say, a lot of people have this when they turn like 18 years old and they leave the house, they don't realize that they're constantly being like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Like they think their parents are always looking over their shoulder, always trying to prove their parents right or wrong, whatever it is mm-hmm. they wanted from them. But for me, it was like, I, I got out of being religious. And then in about 2010, I was like, let me try to start going back to church. And I play guitar. So I started playing guitar at this church, which made me start going more. And then I got out of it. And I was like, yeah, when we die, we have, we'll just become worm food. Like I became very close to atheist, I would say. And then there was just a point where I was like, I feel like there's something. And then the first time I did ayahuasca, I was like, oh, this is that something. And I'm, <laughs> I'm in that place where that yeah, something totally. is. Like I'm here, like I'm in the inner workings of of God, whatever that is. And I think there's a lot of people that have trauma around around religion in general, just parents and the way that they, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that religion's really good for. And there's a lot of people that religion's really bad for. It just depends on who the person is and the way that it works. And my very first ayahuasca ceremony, I remember going into it because I was like, I need, I need ayahuasca to show me that, because my, my family is very, Christian still, like they're hardcore Christian. I'm very much on the other side of like, well, I'm open to everything. And there's, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can learn from all religions. Yep. And, um, and I got that way because the very first ayahuasca ceremony I did when I, after I went through all hell and then it got beautiful when I finally released and just let go and it was giving me all of the downloads to the universe. I said, what religion is right? And the very f- right away came through all of them. <laughs> they're all right. It's just like ice cream. 
it's just all different flavors, <laughs> but you're still eating ice cream, right? Yeah. And I was like, so what's the point of, I was like, so and the whole idea that I had was like, so, so what's the point of having all these different ones? And it's like, cause different people need different things, you know? And it's like, it's like the, the Ramdas talks about this guru where he would go up to one person and he would say something and he'd go up to some person and say the exact opposite of that one thing. And someone's like, this guy's, you know, he's a charlatan, he's fake. He's saying all these different things. And someone goes up to him and goes, why'd you say this person, this, this thing to that person? You said something completely opposite to the other person. He goes, cause when you're walking down a road, some people veer off to the right and some people veer off to the left. And to get them both back on the road, they both need different directions because mm -hmm. one of them has to turn left and one of them has to turn right. And I was like, oh, all religions are right? And I was like, holy shit. Then maybe me judging my mom for being so religious is ridiculous because that's what she needs to get one step closer to enlightenment. And whatever my sister needs is something different. And then whatever this person needs who's Muslim needs something different. It's like, how could I possibly judge somebody else? Because what they've been given and what they're following is what makes them feel like it's right for the next step in their soul. Same way that you and I, it might be meditation and psychedelics and connecting with other people and journaling and reading and that type of stuff. It's just the next level for all of us is 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 somewhere out there and it might be religion or it might be just your own path that you follow on your own or you might sure. be connecting with other people in masterminds who have the same vision as you and you start to create almost like you're not creating your own church but it's almost like another church where it's like you get around people who believe the same as you and it makes you feel like oh I'm I'm finally understood and I think that's where my stress came from when I was younger is that I always felt like I was being watched mm. I always felt like I was never right and I always felt like I was going to hell no matter what I did mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all religions are right at their core essence, but mm -hmm. they've been they've been manipulated. Yeah, and people fucked them up. People fucked them up. Yeah. You know, it's like what was originally ice cream has now become some fucking sludge <laughs> made by some factory designed yeah. to profiteer off other people and right. become the middleman and create these ways, these mechanisms of control. And that's, I think, where everything got twisted. And really, you know, what I, the God that I understand says, I love you no matter what, and mm. you can't do it wrong. Mm. There's, it's not, and then the devil is like, you're always fucking up and you, you're always doing it wrong. It's the opposite, mm. right? And so I think there's been this huge conflation, like fear God, fear God. Of right. all the things you run to fear it's in the crazy. world, like that's the last thing you should fear, 100%. but it just flipped the world upside down. And I think, that's the that's the nastiest trick of the devil or resistance you know mm -hmm. i try not to anthropomorphize and use these names but that force has taken the seat of the divine and it just completely undermines like the the fact that people were torturing people in the name of god mm -hmm. or killing people in mm -hmm. the name of god or punishing judging when god's like i love you no matter what mm -hmm. and you know you can't do it like that's that's the real god but everything got inverted yeah so it was in this like dark upside down world prism mm -hmm. that we've been in but if you really like look through and peer through all the way through you'll see that there's the kernel of the divine there's the kernel of source yeah in all in everything yeah you well know? when you say that it's funny because i think it's alan watts that, that says it where it's like what we do we grow up in, and I see it when I have friends that have kids, right? Like if you have a friend who's, who's got a kid, like their God is their parents. Like just think about being one, two years old and there's this massive being that literally provides you all of the safety, all of the food and the water and love that, you're, that you need. It's like the, our, our gods of our universe up until we realize what God is, 
are our parents. And then we grow up and realize that our parents are just people and they are flawed in many ways. So what we do is we take this flawed idea of our parents being God and place that onto the God and think, oh yeah, well, he's going to send me to internal, you know, eternal damnation and I'm going straight to hell. And that's the way, that's the thing that like I always got in trouble when I was in Catholic school, because I was like this, if, if God is love, like, why does he want to send me to this place? That sounds like shit. Like, I don't want to go like, this sounds terrible. And philosophy of religion in college. one of the great things that I remember is like, if you're going to worship a God, Mm -hmm. it has to be at least as good as the best person, you know, (laughs) like, otherwise don't fucking worship (laughs) that thing, you know? And like the best person I know, would never dole that's cruel and unusual punishment you're talking about a lifetime getting licked by flames eternity eternity lifetimes on lifetimes (laughs) on lifetimes (laughs) fucking eternity (laughs) like that is that is evil yeah that's evil so don't worship that one that's a demon yeah like that's a fucking demon yeah like hieronymus bosch paintings like that's some demon demonic shit you know there's no there's nothing about god in that in that because it has to be at least as good as the best of us for sure at least at least far that's beyond the fucking bar that's far the minimum beyond which you can comprehend that yeah. person even being right so it's like if you look at if there's only two things in in this world there's there's love and there's fear and everything comes from love and fear right and you know god is synonymous with love in all religions that you look at so if something is the epitome of love it doesn't even know fear and it doesn't right. even know how to put fear into you you know, is it is that voice of like, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you at all points of time. It's like, there is no way that God, and I I don't know how at five years old, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it, I feel so, this feels so wrong. Like this thing loves me so much. How could it possibly do that? It's like nothing that you could do could ever, and we spoke of this before. It's like, it's like Jesus, it's like, no matter what you could do, I'm still going, like, you're already forgiven before you even do the thing that's wrong. Yeah. Like, when have we ever felt in our lives that there's one person that we're just fully forgiven with, no matter what happens? You know, we might know one person, but very few people know anybody that you can come to and there's no judgment and you don't feel any different, no matter what, no matter what you say to them. And you know that they're like your safe space, that they're not going to, you know, turn turn you into a bad person for what you did. And that's, you know, when we go back to triggers that we were talking about a few minutes ago, so my girlfriend and I, we, before, when we go to bed, we have a routine that we'll say one thing that we like about each other every, every night. It's just like how we end it, even if we're in a fight. And it's usually like, oh, all right, well, let me tell you what I like about you. You know what I mean? It's like, we at least got to end it that way. You had pretty yeah. hair today. <laughs> yeah, you look, yeah, you didn't piss me off as much as you could have, right? Like it's like, like, it's like, we'll still force ourselves to say it. And usually it makes it, it makes, at, least, at least makes me feel better where I'm like, I can feel the tension and the tension kind of subsides a little bit. And um Last night, so I'll tell you what happened. On um, Saturday, uh, she comes in. I'm watching football. She comes in and she's like, about to cry. And she's like, I, uh, um, and I was like, what? What? I was like, thought something, something with the dogs or something, right? Like, you know, something's not right. Yeah, sure. She goes, I don't even know how it happened. And I was like, just tell me what it is. What is it? And she goes, I broke your watch. And I'm like, a real big watch guy. And she broke my Rolex. And uh-huh. she and she knocked it off of off onto the, off of the, the counter. She was and just it, channeling her cat. Yeah, she, she just knocked. <laughs> she's like, "Fuck this thing!" No, no, but she, <laughs> but it somehow fell perfectly so that it shattered the glass completely on my Rolex. Right? Uh-huh. If this was six years ago, it would have been. And this is what we we said when we were going to, to bed. She's like, "I liked that when I said it to you, you didn't freak out." Five years ago, Rob would have been like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Right? Like, yeah. because really, what it comes down to, we had this conversation in bed was. 
I would have wanted to hurt you because I was hurt. But I could already see that you were hurt by the way that you came into it. And so the worst thing for me to do is try to hurt you more when I can already tell there's hurt. And so I was like, it's okay. It's no big deal. Like we took it into the shop yesterday. It's just getting sent off. I'll get it back in two months, right? But that was me trying to at least be a little bit better of no matter what you did, Mm -hmm. sure, I love this watch, but it's a fucking thing, Mm -hmm. right? But you're forgiven before it even happened in the first place, right? And if somebody crashes my car, it's like you're forgiven before it happens in the first place. And so it's like, how can we get to the point where what would have triggered us, we can forgive people no matter what. I'm not trying to say I'm any sort of perfect being because there was still inside of me. I was like, watch, right? Like there's, but yeah. I was like, I'm, there's no reason to bring that out. And so it's like, that's stepping more into the place that we should be of, okay, you did this thing. It's not the outcome that I would have wanted, but it's not going to change the love that I feel for you. Because what, how, how crazy is that to be in a, a romantic relationship with somebody and they think that something happening to a thing can make me feel differently about them? And also what's even, what's even deeper and, and more fucked up is that people get angry at people, not for their intentions, but mm. for the, the consequences of some action, right? Yeah. Like there's no way she was trying to break your watch. No, no. Not, uh, not any stretch of the imagination. She was horrified yeah. that she broke, and she feels terrible herself. She's sure. already self-punishing. Right. She broke your fucking watch. Yeah. If someone crashes your car, I guarantee they feel awful. And if they yeah. don't, that's a fucking sociopath. They should probably not be friends with them anyways, right? right? But nonetheless, we'll get mad for an accident, mm. you know, and, and or for for intentions that weren't there. And and this comes up in relationships too, like where, you know, Vailana and I have been moving through different traumas that she's had. You know, she's always had her boyfriends who've been lying and cheating. And mm-hmm. she found out on two different birthdays of her that her boyfriend had impregnated another woman, oh you know, God. like like deep fucking gnarly shit yeah. right so there'll be different situations that'll come up where she'll like plant that timeline onto me mm. and i'll be like yo like mm. this isn't this you know maybe i've said some comment or done something i'm like you have to look at my intention do you think mm. i would really try to hurt you mm. or do you think like like look like look deeper mm. even beyond just an accident because we do that with accidents that happened with our cats the other day and vi caught that because we were in this conversation about intention is the thing that fucking matters mm. of course if you're like careless or whatever you could be reminded of like just be a little bit more mindful mm-hmm. of as you're moving through areas with fragile things mm-hmm. you know be mindful of the fragile things things are things are valuable blah 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 yeah. whatever but like the cat our cats are irresistibly attracted to trash including tinfoil <laughs> and i made a hot chocolate for our friends staying at the house and i put tinfoil on the top mm-hmm. so the cat was like oh great trash <laughs> and like pulls on the tinfoil, pulls the hot chocolate off the counter uh-huh. right in front of us. It splashes on Vi's pants and shoes as it happens. She's like, our cat's name is Cyrano. Like, Cyrano! Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets mad. <laughs> like, like, Cyrano intentionally, maliciously <laughs> fucking sabotages. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then she caught herself. She's like, oh, man, that's that shadow thing that we learn. Mm-hmm. And then we knock over a dish and our dad yells at us or mm-hmm. like, like we intended to do that. Yeah. And when, of course, Cyrano didn't do that. I never intended to do that, but it's these mm-hmm. patterns. And we're like really grateful that we're starting to unpack all of these things where if you really look at the intention, like there's nothing, no blame to be had, but even still, and then there's the other level of that Christ consciousness. So one is very practical, like just look at the intentions first mm-hmm. before you even allow yourself to get worked up and angry. Like mm-hmm. did someone really mean to hurt you? Right. 
It's very rarely that someone means to hurt you, but sometimes someone will mean to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And then can you forgive them then too? Because we've all been in that place where we've been fucking pissed off and we've shot a dart. We've thrown a little dart, a little blow dart of venom mm -hmm. and we've tried to hurt somebody mm -hmm. with a word, you know, with some action. There's all, we've all been times and that's forgivable too. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the lesson of like true, true forgiveness but there's a lot of ground that we can make up of just actually understanding culpability yeah like if someone's not trying to do something it's not their fault but even if they did we've all been there too for sure you're also forgiven and it's kind of like you know and if i go back to it it's like you know i probably put it should have put my watch away <laughs> yeah, totally <laughs> so it's like totally. did i did i take a shower and leave it out yeah have i left it out there many times yeah but could i put it on my bedside like so it's, at the same time it's like I've heard uh, Tom Bill, you talk about this. We're taking taking responsibility for everything in your life. Where he said, you know, the example that he gives, I haven't heard it in years, but he says, you know, if my wife is driving and she's at a stoplight and she's just sitting there, it's a beautiful day, and she gets hit by an asteroid and killed, is it my fault? And the people are like, no, it's it's not your fault. And it's like, no, it is my fault. And everyone's like, that doesn't make like, how could you possibly? it's an asteroid. Like, what are you going to do about an asteroid? And he's like, well, I know that there is a foundation that's called the near earth asteroid, whatever it is, where they actually, you know, research all of these near earth asteroids that are going to be coming by and these comets and all that stuff. He goes, I've known they exist for years. I've never donated a dollar to them. What if I could have donated some money to them and it would have helped my, save my wife's life? So really start to think deeply as, is, is it possible that I can take responsibility for everything in my life because that's what it comes down to a lot is that people won't mm. take responsibility and they're so quick to blame everybody else for everything versus going like, hey, how could this have been my fault? How could it have been my fault? Yeah, I probably could have put my watch away. Mm, that probably would have been a good idea. You know, I don't ever put my watch away because I wear it every day. So it's just like, it's always out. And it's like, I have a watch yeah. winder for it. I could put it away. I haven't put it away in like three months and look at what happened. You know, yeah. so it's like, is there a lesson that's in everything? And the lesson could be, hey, man, you need to pick your shit up more. It's, I think one of the reasons why we are afraid to take responsibility is because we're so afraid of our judge. Mm. You know, like if we take responsibility, then we're, then we're subject to the punishment of the judge. You know, mm. we're always trying to be exculpable. Always trying to be, no, 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 no. It wasn't my fault. I was in a hurry. I was busy. I was fucking busy. I, yeah. I've done this many times, like whatever. Yeah. Because what are we doing that? We're like, we're like pleading our case to mm. this tyrant that mm -hmm. lives in our own home of our mind this mm -hmm. tyrant of, of the judge it's like you should have blah 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 and now you're not worthy of love because of this yeah what if we can soften the edges of that judge change the judge to the loving coach it's like it's okay i know you did this and that loving parent rather than this tyrannical judge that we have in our own mind then we can start to take responsibility for stuff because then mm -hmm. we're not trying to come up with excuses and come up with reasons why we were justified in doing what we did i'm justified in saying what i did because blah 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 blah. when really it's all it's all kind of pleading our case mm -hmm. to this figurehead of the judge that, that we doesn't have even exist in the first place it's just a fiction yeah it's been reflected to us by the world because the world's judged us in that way so we've created what I've realized is we create a judge in our own mind harsher than the harshest judge we've ever experienced mm. to prevent us from being subject to that judge. I understand why we have it. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't serve us. You know, like, again, Vailana had a really, really intense authoritarian parent, mm -hmm. you know, step-parent. And fucking ruthless. Like, listen to this music, you're grounded for a year. 
A year. A year, a year right? Wow. So she developed a judge that was harsher than that. And also the, you know, the mechanisms of like how to get out of it, because it was insane. Mm-hmm. Like you have that kind of insane. Mm-hmm. But she she developed a judge that was harsher than the harshest judge she had. My dad was had a really strong judge. No, the punishments weren't that harsh, but it, he would remove love, which felt like death for me anyways, for sure. you know? So we developed this judge that's harsher than the harshest judge we've experienced in life. And then that becomes our thing, which is always a tyrant because we're mm-hmm. always gonna experience some kind of tyrant. And I say that in a in a loving way, it's not their fault. I'm not mm-hmm. like judging them for being that. They've had their own tyrants. Sure. And, in, and in my dad's case, he certainly did a hell of a lot of work. I mean, his father was like fucking Franz Kafka novel level, like awful. And you know, he did his best and been, and everybody's doing their best. For sure. But nonetheless, like we create that and then we have to live with that in our home until we confront confront that thing and really start to unravel it. And then we can actually then start to take responsibility and be like, oh yeah, I should have put that. I could have put that watch away. I could have been nicer. I could have said this in a different way. I could have opened my heart a little bit more to you. Mm-hmm. I could have been more compassionate. Mm-hmm. I could have, and then, then we're really like able to make progress because we're not trying to defend our position. We're just like, oh yeah, I could do more and I, and I can do more and I will. And we'll make this seem fucking better. For sure. Well, it's like, <clears throat> you know, there's a, a video Will Smith had one time and he said, you know, what happened to you is not your fault, but whatever you got from it is your responsibility. So it's like, what's interesting is you look at your grandfather to your father to you, it's none of those things that happen to you or your fault in any sort of way, but what you do with it is your responsibility. Cause I'm assuming you guys will probably have kids one day mm-hmm. and you don't want to pass that, right? So what's cool about the work that we put into ourselves is our, my goal is not to pass any of my past traumas from my parents onto them. And so it's like, if you look at, at your grandfather to your father to you, you're you're working through to make sure that this, is, this doesn't go again. Yeah. Like for me, I was very aware of what happened with my dad. Like my dad was an alcoholic because, you know, my grandfather, uh, my dad walked into the room after, my dad walked into the room after he heard a gunshot and saw his dad had just shot himself in the mouth with a shotgun at 12 years old, right? And I'm like, of course you're gonna have trauma from that. I didn't have anything that bad. So none of those things is my fault. Like my grandfather doing that's not my fault. My father becoming an alcoholic and not overcoming his demons is not my fault. But it is my responsibility to make sure that I don't become an alcoholic and this doesn't get passed on to my children. Yeah. You know, and really what it comes down to is us just taking our own responsibility for ourselves and going, you know, you had this, I had this, Valana had this. And it's like there's all these things that happen, but we're putting in this work because we care enough for the next generations coming up that we don't want to pass it on to them. And we also just care enough for ourselves, I guess you could say, to to make sure that we get past this so we feel better of our normal operating, right? Because I know that if I had been trying to do what I do now at the, the scale that I do now and not done all of the work I'd done on myself, it would have been a complete explosion, implosion, whatever it might be with myself. And so really what it comes down to is how can we take responsibility for everything? You can call it blame if you want to. Like I can blame myself for the watch and I, I can take full responsibility for it, right? Probably make my girlfriend more excited to hear me say like, hey, that was all my fault because I make her feel better as well, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to pass it on. And I also don't want to not just pass it on to my kids. I don't want to pass it on to anybody that I come in contact with because that that energy that still exists from it, if I hold on to it, is going to be passed on to other people in some sort of way, which goes back to your, your ayahuasca ceremony of like who you could be mm. if you release that thing and got back to like the true self. 
is too much for you to even handle, like seeing it because there's it, the way that would impact every person that you come in contact with could completely change everybody else around you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's two things that I want to go back to that you said. Um, one is that little ritual that you have with your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, interestingly, it's something I started doing with my wife as well, where we try to pick something that either we really appreciated yeah. uh, that they did throughout the day or something that made us feel mm -hmm. really loved. Mm. Like this thing, you know, made me feel really loved mm -hmm. or this thing, it made me feel really, I really appreciated this thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's two things, sometimes just one thing. And then we set an intention for the day. We, we haven't gotten, we haven't made it like a pattern that we do every night, but we mm -hmm. started it in the ayahuasca. Cause of course, mm -hmm. going to do ayahuasca as a couple, like lots of shit comes up. I'm sure. And I'm, I like have so much admiration for what she was able to to move through like a lifetime of of challenge you know she was able to confront head on and and overcome it it was just incredibly beautiful to see but of course we had to hold that together and so we started this practice to just anchor to the positive positive. Mm -hmm. and that's i think one really important thing that we can do is pick these little anchor points you know because we're anchoring back to love and appreciation for sure before bed every night and that sets us up for a positive day and then mm -hmm. we also try to set an intention for the next day of how we're gonna show up for each other and mm -hmm. how we're gonna and it's a beautiful practice. So finding little anchor points and intentions and then making those habits, I think is great. The other thing is I've been kind of feeling like, you know, like I could really use a coach myself. Mm -hmm. And you mentioning as well, you know, you're a coach, mm -hmm. great coach. Mm -hmm. And you're like my coach. Mm -hmm. and I was like, fuck, well, if Rob's doing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I for sure should do it as well. Yeah. And uh, and so that's something that I'm I'm going to do. And I think that's something that, even for those people listening who are you know really conscious reading the books doing the work there's something about having even if it's a voice that's reiterating stuff that you already know but mm -hmm. they're going to say it in a different way they're going to reflect it in a different way and it's almost like we get we get coach deaf to our own internal for sure coaching mechanisms but having somebody else say it and having a little bit of that accountability knowing you're going to talk to them next time and they're mm -hmm. going to ask you about it it just seems really helpful. So, yeah. you know, it's just hearing you talk today has reinforced those two different things. All right, keep up this practice yeah. with Vi of doing this every night. Yeah. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna come off off this meeting and I'm gonna I'm gonna call up and I'm gonna set up a coach. Yeah. It's the first thing of saying something because we both love words of affirmation, but we could both be better at it. Yeah. You know? And nothing makes me feel better than being appreciated by somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, like gifts are cool. Like if you look at the five love languages, they're all cool. But like for me, I do love when someone just says something nice about me, right? And and so it's it's nice to end the, and I sleep really well. Maybe it's because of the fact that I go into it with like this feeling of appreciation right before I go to bed. She sleeps really well too. You know, so that's that's part of it where it's just like, we all could be better at finding the good in people and saying that out loud to them right? Because I can look at someone and think something. I can look at her and think, oh my God, I really like you know, the way she looks right now. I look like what she's wearing. For a long time, I, I would just think it and never say it. And I, I got, oh fuck, I got to say it. I, people need to hear these things from me. So it helps in that way. The second thing with a coach is, first off, I, I always tell people who are coaches, how can a coach coach people and not have a coach? You know, like it, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. like to, for me to preach that you should have a coach and not have a coach doesn't make any sense. And the second thing is like, it took me a while to find somebody because I didn't, I couldn't find somebody that I felt was on my level, not in a bad, like saying that in like in a narcissistic way, but like I needed somebody yeah, to sure. challenge me and I needed somebody who 
it, what I really want to work on is, is, is the way that we've been talking about is showing up with more compassion, more love and loving people. So someone that was like that, that had like the full integration of like feminine and masculine, because I can, I'm really good at the masculine. The feminine is what I'm trying to work on, like a little bit softer side of myself. And this person ended up being the great boundary or, or the, a great um, bridge. bridge between the two of them. So there was that. Um, and then also I was just like, you know, my, and I'll fully tell everybody, like my coach is $10,000 a month. Right. And we only get two calls. One of them's an hour and a half. Uh, two, we get two calls every other week that are an hour and a half and then 20 minute check in sessions. Right. But how often are the 20 minute check in sessions? So I talk to them every week. Yeah. But one of them, every other week it switches. So hour and a half, then 20 minutes, then an hour and a half, and then 20 minutes. Um, and then there happens to be some, uh, some, we'll call it expanded things that we do uh, with oh, substances. Snap. So, you know, whatever that, <laughs> everyone can think whatever they want to at that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't matter, so I'm not dropping his name. So there, there is that as well that helps because you get to a certain point where you feel like you just need help, right? Yeah. Like uh, uh, people who are alcoholics get to a point where they just, if hopefully they get to a point where they're just like, I need help. And, you know, I've gotten to a point where it's like, I feel like I've gotten to a point that's that's really good. I love everything. I love everything around me. But like I said to you, I said to him, where I was like, I feel this chronic underlying stress, you know, like I just, I, I feel it and I don't know where it's coming from. Like I've done so much work on myself. I'm trying to, and you know, so it's like, I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to get better at this. And the amount of blind spots that I have for someone who literally journals every fucking day, you know, like <laughs> is, is wild. And to, to, to realize that there's still so many blind spots and it's just, for me, it's like the reason why you go into a psychedelic journey is to work on yourself. Like, and so why would I not be working myself every week and have this practice with somebody who also holds me accountable? Like I'm a, if, if you look at my schedule, it's like, I'm a busy dude. Like I've got a whole lot of things happening, right? Like I'm super busy. So I will put my, my like certain tasks that would be improvement on me and working on me and the feeling of like, you know, he, he sent me a guided meditation that he, he made after doing 12 hour session with him of things that came up and things I needed to work on. And that's what I listen to every single morning of having that space where it's just mm -hmm. like, I can wake up and I can give myself a morning routine. I'll go through the morning routine. But then there's also like, what is the next thing that I'm working for and who's the person that's going to be holding me accountable to make sure that it happens. So like yeah. for, for, I, I talked to him right before I came here and he was like, you know, how did your, your meeting with, with Lauren go? Right. Cause we do, we've did weekly meetings for a while and then we're like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Like we, you know, we meet, we talk about things. So he gave us this whole, you know, questions, answers, journaling way to talk through things. He's like, how did it go? You know, the fact that I know I, it's not, it's on my schedule, it's on her schedule, and it's also on his schedule. Yeah. That I need to fucking do and it can't be pushed off anymore is now holding both of us accountable to actually making sure that it gets done. Yeah. And that's the work that we need to. And it's, you know, it's like someone who's like, hey, send me your meals that you ate today. If right. I'm going to need to check your macros and all that right. stuff, you need someone sometimes, not always, but for me at this point in my life, I need somebody who can hold me to a high level of accountability because I know the next level I want to get to, I just can't see some of the blind spots and he's been incredible for that. Yeah. 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 I know who I'm going to reach out to as well. Yeah. Um, you need someone that can, that's, that's, you know, you need someone who's a, you're at a level that, that you need someone who's, I mean, who's a fucking say, wizard. It's, you know? it's, I mean, we mentioned him in the spot. It's Peter Crone. You know, like yeah. I've gotten my three free sessions on, yeah. my, on my three podcasts that I've done yeah. with them, and they've been great. Yeah, and you cried well, every mean, time, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. And he, yeah. it's he's he's a fucking master. You know, so I'm gonna. 
finish this podcast and I'm gonna reach out to him and it's gonna be right. fucking expensive. He's so not, he's I know, not I, cheap. I know, I looked it up. Yeah. I was gonna hire him before I hired this other guy. The other guy yeah. happens to be a real good friend of mine that's local. And so it's like, all right, I'll work with this guy and then I can switch over to Peter as well. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it, was, it was expensive. I saw it, but it was, <laughs> but it was, it, it's like, how serious are you about the growth that you wanna have in yourself? Yeah, and exactly. so, you know, when you listen to him speak, I've heard many different podcast episodes he's on. It's like, I, I literally, and I kid you not, I, I've, there's, there's an interview that he has with uh, another guy, an Australian guy, um, and I watched it and he starts talking about the, the redness under his eyes and where it came from and starts working through like how his heart's been closed up and stuff. And I, I literally brought my girlfriend and I brought Lauren in and I was watching it on my TV in, on YouTube. I, I scroll back and I was like, you have to watch the last 20 minutes of this. And I sent it to him and I was like, I've watched a lot of coaches. I've watched Tony Robbins a lot. I've watched, you know, I've watched every coach you could possibly think of that's got, that's a big name. I go, I think this guy's the best. Mm. Like the, yeah. the, the fact that this guy can pull up an unawareness that somebody has like a blind spot and work through it so quickly. I was like, this guy's fucking incredible. So I do agree that he's yeah. the guy's. I mean, it's, he, I'll hold you accountable to that. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's <laughs> I'm go. I'm going to text you next Let's week go. and make sure. Yeah, he, blow, he blows my mind. All right, so for people listening, you yeah. know, who want to be a coach, Yeah, I think we've established one of the things that's really important, get a coach. Yeah. You know, first get a coach. Yeah. And I think that's a step that a lot of people are, are missing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like really get in there and, and really see what it's like to be coached. Yep. And, you know, I think for me, I've had the blessing of many shamans, many mentors, many things that I've kind of created this amalgamation mm -hmm. of capital C coach from many forms, but never had like a coach. And I'm mm. not, that's not my primary role either. I coach people in fit for service, but I'm also like the kind of the leader of the organization. Mm -hmm. We have a bunch of other people that come in. Um, but I think it'll be really valuable for me to have like, especially, you know, someone like Peter at that mm -hmm. level, because I learned something from him every time he fucking speaks. Yeah. Uh, but then there's other things too. So if you're going to talk through people, and I know you have programs as well that help mm -hmm. people with a lot of that, and, and please touch that as well. But if someone really feels called to become a coach, which many people do, mm -hmm. what do you think are the steps beyond them also getting a coach? So so the, I'll, I'll tell you first off, before I dive into that, I'll tell you why I'm so passionate about coaching. So I hired my first coach when I was 19. Um, and oddly enough, it, so it's 500 bucks a month and I got two people with it. And the funny thing was I got lucky. It was actually Hal Elrod and his best friend were my, I, I was one of the, I was their very, I was their very first coaching client back in 2006. They're old, old Cutco guys. I'm an old Cutco guy. I hired them. I paid 350 bucks a month for rent. I paid 500 bucks a month to talk to them and to have access to them. Mm -hmm. For two years, I, it was great. I don't remember anything we talked about for two years. I just remember it was really great, you know, but there's one thing that I remember being on the phone call with his best friend, which is, his name's John Berghoff. <clears throat> and, uh, guy's a, a genius, super smart. And uh, he was only like 24 at the time. I was 19. And I was making excuses as to why I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. I was in Cutco and sales company. I wasn't making the money that I wanted. I wasn't making the calls. I wasn't showing up to our calls on time. I'd be like three minutes late. Only thing I remember him saying to me that literally has changed the course of my life is he goes, hey, Rob, um, if a business fails, whose fault is it? And I was like, it's the CEO's fault. He goes, okay, if a business succeeds, whose fault is it? And I said, it's the CEO's fault. He said, so if you get to the end of your life and it wasn't what you wanted it to be, whose fault would that be? And I was like, 
and be my own. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and if you get to the end of your life and it is what you want it to be and you created everything that you wanted to, whose fault would that have been? And I go, it would be mine. He goes, the problem with you is you're making too much excuses and you're not acting like the CEO of your life. You're making excuses, you're externalizing all of the blame and putting it on other people or other mm. circumstances. When in reality, you have to take the blame for everything in your life. The same way that if the business succeeds, it's the CEO's fault. If it fails the CEO's fault, if your life is shit and you regret everything, it's your fault. There's no one else that you can blame. But if you get to end your life and you're like, yeah, man, I did it. Mm. It's your fault. And literally that moment like changed my life. That one, I don't remember what we talked about for two years, but it was all good stuff. But that one moment changed the course of my life. Like the, where I grew up, real nice area, but also, you know, because of the fact that there was a lot of money that was there, there's a lot of poor people. There's also a lot of money though. So we used to go party at all the rich kids' house, right? There's a lot of, uh, at that point in time, it was the most um, drug overdoses anywhere in the state of Florida, right? So I know a lot of people who have overdosed from a lot of things. And I could have gone that route, absolutely. But it was like this fork in the road of like, I could have gone one one way in that that moment made me go a different direction. So that's why I'm so passionate about it because literally everybody has that opportunity. And even if they're not a coach, people who are out there listening, a conversation with somebody can change their life. Yeah. Like don't underestimate that. Yeah. So uh, so that's the first thing of, of why I think coaching is so important is because a conversation can literally change somebody's life. Like that's fucking wild um, if you think about it. Um, and so I'm super passionate about it just because of that. The second thing that people need to do is immediately people go to, I need to get certified. And I'm, I don't know how many listeners you have. And I know it's a pretty decent amount. I'm going to just say it to everybody. Most certifications are fucking scams. Mm. Do you want to know why? Because they teach you how a little bit of how to be a coach, but they don't teach you how to make money. Right. And it's like, I'm, if I'm starting a business, I don't want it to be paid like a hobby. I want it to be paid like an actual business. Right. And so I think what it comes down to more than anything else is if somebody wants to be a coach, they need to have a coach. They need to have somebody or they need to at least have a friend. Um, the thing about it that I've come to realize is that the better that I become as a person, the better I become as a coach. And so a lot of people have this feeling, almost everybody that's, that's, that starts off as a coach has the imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? Which is, I think, why they reach for certifications because right. it gives them something they can hold on to when they yeah. feel like, wow, I don't know, I yeah. shouldn't be doing it. And But all, almost all certifications, like people be like, I'm going to go get my nutrition certification. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? That's like 15 years old yeah. content that you're exactly. really trying to study. But it's just asparagus and egg whites. Like, <laughs> yeah. we've, we're past that now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we've fucking moved past yeah. that. And so it's like, yeah, 100%. And I agree with you. And it's it's like, we all know people who have degrees and certifications flying off the wall but they're still, they still can't figure it out in life, right? right? And so it comes back to the, what we were talking about earlier, which is like the lack of self-worth, you know, bringing Joe Rogan now because of lack of self-worth is also the lack of self-worth of who am I to go and coach somebody this? So what I always tell people is like, have a particular thing that you become obsessed with. Like for me, the way it happened for me, I'm just really fucking intrigued by humans. Like I just love watching people and watching their body and listening to what they're saying and going in my head going, where did this come from? Like, I wonder what the relationship with their mom and dad is like. And usually that's going on in my head. And then I'm really intrigued by like neurobiology and like figuring out the chemicals inside somebody's brain to make them do something or not do something. So I, I it's kind of like becoming a specialist in something. There's a lot of people that listen to you that are incredible. Like they, they go to the gym and they're in incredible shake, shape, but they literally don't need to go and get a certification to go tell everybody how to do exactly what they just did. Mm -hmm. They've got knowledge. It's just sometimes the people are the best 
like could be possibly the best coaches. It's so easy for them because it's like, oh yeah, of course I do this at the gym. Of course I eat this. Of course I drink this much water. Of course I have this morning routine. It's so natural to them to do what they do that it's almost autopilot that they don't even think that they could teach other people. And so what I always say is like, if you're going to try to figure out what it is that you want to do, because people are like, well, I want to become a, you know, I had a lady one time that was like, I want to become a, um, I don't want to tell you exactly what it was because I don't want her to hear it and be like, oh my God, she's making making fun of me. But it was very, very like, if you've been cheated on and you're Christian and you live in this section of the country. I was like, that's a little bit too specialized. Like, could you also help other people, other women? And, you know, then someone will say, I want to be a women's empowerment coach. I'm like, well, if a man came in and said, hey, I have this issue, can you help me? Could you help him? And they're like, yeah. And, And would that make you feel good to also help a man? It would? Okay, so then maybe you just go a little bit wider and go, I'm actually an empowerment coach. Maybe Mm -hmm. I help these types of people. So it's like, for me, it's like, number one, realize that you probably need a coach because there's blind spots that you have. And number two, figure out what it is that you're just either obsessed with or that you have this really, and I could could probably say this is how on it got built to what what it is. You probably became really intrigued as to the chemicals and the way it works in someone's body and getting into that. And that's Mm -hmm. why you became a specialist in this with no degree, but it was able to help you build this amazing company. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing where it's like, I'm really interested in how nutrition works in someone's body and how it makes them feel. I have a lady who lives in the UK that's been with us for about a year and she crushes it, but she's cured cancer in people based off of changing their nutrition, right? She's a fucking wizard with it. And so when you think about those types of things, it's like, she doesn't have degrees around that stuff. She's been in this game for a while. She figured it out on her own and now she's teaching it to other people. And so it's like, what are you just so obsessed with that you're going to learn about and, and want to read anyways? If I didn't do what I do now and I wasn't making any money doing it, I would still be geeking out on all of the stuff that Andrew Huberman says. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, I just love those things. And so it's like, figure out what you're you're interested in and you just want to learn more about and usually that becomes a path and then when people say that they're not good enough and they have the imposter syndrome what they're usually doing and who they're trying to fix is them five years ago so just ask yourself what you needed five years ago if you could right now in 2021 coach yourself in 2016 what did you need in 2016 and almost always people are like i got it I figured it out Mm. because we're never coaching people that aren't like us. We're coaching us a few years behind. Mm -hmm. And a coach is not a guru. It's not somebody who's like, got it all figured out. I tell everybody on my podcast, I'm fucked up. I mess things up all of the time. I'm not this perfect human. I'm just been working on myself for 16 years. I'm a little bit further on down the path. And so I think if people were just to open up and go, okay, you know, and it is a great way to make money, which is a good thing about it if people really want to. But if they just go, I want to be fulfilled even if somebody were to just help people for free with nutrition or with fitness or whatever it is, um, they could, it just makes you feel good to make somebody else feel good. Yeah. You know, you, some of the programs that you offer really help coaches turn their coach into a profitable business, mm-hmm. coaching practice mm-hmm. and a profitable business. But if you were to distill a couple things, and of course, for anybody interested, who wants to escalate that. What's your, what's your, principal course called um so it's called business breakthrough but they can just message me on instagram and um we can talk about it and stuff yeah they got to get on a call with one of my team and make sure that they're the right person we have a little bit of a filter on it yeah the whole process okay so if they they feel called for the escalation but if you were going to just down like just a couple points for people who are listening who are 
interested in this and, and interested in either becoming more profitable yeah. uh, in their coaching business or entering in with mm -hmm. a, with this kind of like, yes, I want to help people. Yes, I want this to be my mm -hmm. profession as well. Mm -hmm. What are a few things on the business side that you could tell people about how to get clients, how yeah. to retain clients? Just a couple simple things. Yeah, it's super simple. There's a lot of people that work out here that it literally, the, I, they could, no joke, probably make 500,000 to a million dollars next year as a coach. No fucking, like not even kidding in any sort of mm -hmm. way. It's just, they don't have the system to do it. And so it's like in the coaching business, it's a coaching business. There's the coaching side and there's the business side. And if you don't know the business side, you could be the best fucking coach in the world, but you can be the best broke coach in the world, right? <laughs> like that's, it's that simple. Right. I have a, I know somebody who has 10,000 followers on Instagram and makes $2 million a year off of that, right? And people think like, oh, I need to have like, you know, 400, 500,000 followers like Aubrey or a few hundred thousand like me. And it's like, mm -hmm. you don't need that. What you need is a system. And so the system is, is super simple. There's only really a few parts to it. If somebody has an Instagram, usually Instagram is the easiest way to grow it because you can slide in people's DMs, you can talk to them and stuff. And you don't even, and there's a whole lot of tactics of how to actually have somebody reach out to you and not have to reach out to them. But it's, it's ridiculously simple, okay? With me, I have a few places around my house I go to. I go to the same coffee shop every single day. Like they know me by name. Oh, it's Rob. Oh, where's Bear? Like they know my dog. Like, oh, where's Toby? Where's Lauren? Like they know us that well that we're always there. I frequent like 10 places within five miles of my house. And I sometimes go to other places. There's no difference on social media. So this will change a lot of people in the way that they see it. A lot of people think that real life is different than social media. Social media is the exact same thing. It's just people bring their real life into social media. So the same way that I go to the same coffee shop, I go to five different places to eat restaurants, they're communicating and liking and following the same 10 people. And with the algorithms, they're going to keep getting hit by those things. So then you ask yourself the question, okay, me five years ago and what I needed, what social media accounts would I follow in order to be able to connect to those people? Like, what did I need? So someone might say like, oh, Tony Robbins, right? So then you go out there and you look, you go, okay, well, how can I start? And there's definitely strategies around all how to do this much better. But it's like, how can I find these people that are following Tony Robbins that look like my perfect client? When I hit their social media page, I know that this, oh yeah, this person seems to check the boxes after I've gotten very clear on what it is. Now I've got to make a connection with them. And there's ways to do it without like just cold DMing them and just, you know, say, hey, you want my services or any of that shit? Because nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. uh, but ways to connect with those people to then get them to follow. So then you say, okay, who would they follow? If, if my perfect client's out there, who are they? Who would they follow? And then how can I connect with them to get them to start following me? My idea is to make somebody go, who the fuck is Rob Dial? Like he, he commented on one of my, one of my posts. I don't like the whole like follow unfollow thing. That's, mm. I'm not a fan of that. People do that. Like, I'm going to follow these people. And then two weeks later, I'm going to unfollow all of them. And I'm going to have more followers because they found me. And then you have to realize that your Instagram is your business card, right? So if you were yourself five years ago and you go and look at your Instagram, would you want to follow yourself? And some people look at it and they're like, no, I mm. wouldn't. Okay. If that's your, if literally that's your business card yep. to show people that you're the best at what you do. How can you make your business card look at the best that you possibly can? So it's very simple. You need to have a strategy to grow on social media. And there's many different ways to do that. People can YouTube it. There's tons of different ways of how to grow on social media, right? And then what you need to do is you need to have a strategy to get that person who now follows you onto a phone call. And then you need to have a strategy once they're onto a phone call that you get them to buy your services. So it's not hard. Like, like this is fucking, like on it's crazy, dude. Do you know how, like... <laughs> Do you know what I I have I sit at my house and I've I've been a coach and I teach people who sit at their houses and they make you know forty fifty a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand dollars a year as coaches like 
You have products and people and lights that are on and you have like, I just walked by on the way to the bathroom, like I don't even know how many things you guys make, but you have to go through research to find those things. Like there's a lot that has to go into putting on it together. Literally, if I decide today I wanna be a coach, I can make money today. Yeah. And it's the, the, the profit's 100%, which is amazing about it, which is why a lot of people wanna become coaches. So it's like, you need to develop your social media. That's the first thing, mm -hmm. okay? You need to develop your social media, realize that's your business card. You need to get people who are on, who now follow you on social, your, your social media, have a strategy to talk with them. Mm -hmm. You know, you could do it in stories. You know, if, I, if I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm talking about Amar who just made a quarter of a million dollars in his first five months. And I'm like, hey, if you're interested in it, just send me a DM below. Mm. I've now opened it for someone to raise their hand and say, hey, I kind of want some help. So if you're a, a nutrition coach and you're like, hey, I have this one client and there's a lot of people who are like physical therapists, or not physical therapists, they're uh, personal trainers, right? They could be a personal trainer here, just a normal gym. And they might make 30, 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year, but you've got specialized knowledge. You literally hit the, hit the and you're like, hey, one of my clients been working here for three months and she's lost 15 pounds. If you're out there and you're trying to make your summer body, you know, and you're curious about it, send me a message. We could talk about it. Yeah. Then you got to get them onto a phone call and then you've got to close them. Here's the thing about the phone call though. Everybody listening, if you are a coach, you want to be a coach, just fucking charge more. Like you have to charge more. Here's the reason why. My coach, I told you, is, is $10,000 a month. I take that shit very seriously. You know, when yeah. you're a computer crone, I've looked at his website. It's $25,000 a month for a minimum of three months. You're going to take that shit seriously because that's, mm -hmm. 70, that's, you know, your car, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. It's not cheap to do that. So people are always like, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, do my, my coaching for low ticket and, and charge $47 a month or something like that for people to work with me. The less you charge somebody, the less serious they take it. The best thing that you can do for somebody is charge them more. And the reason why is because when you charge more, they take it more serious. And when they take it more serious, guess what happens? They actually get some fucking results in their life. And when they get results in your life, guess what they do? They keep you as a coach. And that's how you develop long-term clients of working with people is because, and at the same time, you make more money. And sometimes you charge more than you think you're worth. And somebody says yes. And now you're like, oh shit, I better show up for them at the highest level that I possibly yeah, can. It makes you, make, holds you accountable. Makes you better. And so it's like by charging more, everybody wins. And you know, it's like you, you have a, a Gucci bag that's on, that's on right now, right? Mm. You, you paid more than it would have been if it was just a, you know, a bag Indeed. that you would have gotten down at Walmart, right? So it's like, there's, we hold value in things that are more expensive. Like there's just, there's a whole lot of science that goes into it um, of when we charge more or when we spend more on something, we, you know, care about it more. You know, if it would have been a $10 watch that broke, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, all right, throw it away. But you know, <laughs> right. it was a $10,000 watch that broke. And I was like, oh, right. okay, that hurts a little bit. And so when you charge more, your, your clients take it more serious, you make more money, but then you also show up at a higher level and they show up at a higher level. So the system's super simple. Go on social media. How do you get those people from social media onto a phone call? You usually got to chat with them in DMs a little bit, see what's going on with them. You get them onto a phone call and then you close them on your services. It's literally that simple. There's, there's, nothing else to it. And you could literally pick up new clients today from the exact system, social media, getting them into a DM conversation, getting them onto a phone call, then you become a coach. Boom. Spoken like the master you are. It's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. It's, and, <laughs> but people have to realize like, just you're, you are good enough to charge for your coaching. Yeah. That's usually the biggest barrier. Like yeah. I almost didn't start my podcast, swear to God, because Tony Robbins has a podcast. And because he actually, he didn't even have a podcast. I almost didn't start because Tony Robbins exists. And I was like, who would listen at that point in time to 29 year old Rob talk about things and they could listen to go listen to Tony Robbins. Like, why the fuck would they listen to me? And fast forward six years, it's almost at a hundred million downloads. And it's like, 
who the fuck, like, I almost didn't do it because of that. Mm. I wouldn't have this life that I have now and like feel fulfilled if I hadn't gotten past that imposter syndrome. So it's like, whatever people are feeling, the imposter syndrome will crush your dreams. You know, it's that ego every, telling you're not good everybody, enough. And everybody feels it. Like, that's the thing I tell people who struggle with that. That comes up a lot. Like, yeah. anytime you're stretching yourself, you're going to feel like it's imposter syndrome because you've never done it. 100%. You know, and if you if you don't want to have imposter syndrome, just do the same shit you've always done in life and never grow. Yeah. You know, but otherwise, if you're stretching, you're going to feel that. And then yeah. eventually, you get so used to performing and things you haven't done that you have confidence. You mm -hmm. don't feel like an imposter. Like, if I dream up a new thing for the fit for service community mm -hmm. it's not like i'm like oh i don't know if we can do this i'm like ah, oh, we'll pull it off we always do mm -hmm. but you eventually get to that confidence but nonetheless every time it's like fuck we've never done this i don't know if like so it's just normal and that's yeah. what i always tell people like you're gonna feel it no matter what as, yeah. as long as you're stretching people it's almost worrisome if you stop feeling imposter syndrome because that means you're coasting yeah well that's that's also why you feel the feeling of like i can't believe this actually happened like right. you were saying with on it with everything that you do yeah the good thing about the imposter syndrome and the good thing about fear is that fear is showing you the edge of your comfort zone like fear is a physical manifestation of where you're pushing past your normal self so usually what we do is we feel fear and then we back off a little bit when in reality when we feel fear we should literally feel that feeling and go oh I've met my edge. This is where I need to keep pushing. Yeah. You know, if we're really trying to, if we're really about expansion and trying to expand ourselves into something more, then when we feel that feeling of fear, it's like, oh, this is, here it is. I found it. Let me keep pushing past it. Like people think that people like you don't feel fear. Mm -hmm. Like he must not feel fear. You know, and you hear people like, oh, our fearless leader, right? Like <laughs> people all, everyone feels fear. It just depends on how you play with it. Do you listen to it or do you dance with it? Like, yeah. what is it? Oh, I I, it's like, I feel the fear. Okay, here it is. But it's not going to hold me back from doing what it is I truly want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and people imagine fears, just because I'm not afraid of what you're afraid of doesn't mean I'm <laughs> yeah. transcended fear. You know, yeah. I can walk up and give a speech and not be nervous about it to 100 people, yeah. 500 people, whatever. But I can, you know, find myself terrified alone in my car you know, <laughs> about some manifestation of my own mind. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah, it's it's a good point. And fear is always a compass of like, all right, this is showing me something, showing me a place where I'm not free. It's showing you your edge. Yeah. That's all that it's doing. Yeah. And it's the comfort zone is that I say your comfort zone is where your dreams go to die. So if you want to stay, <laughs> in, you want to stay yeah. in that motherfucker, you can. But when you feel the fear, it's like, oh, this is the feeling I'm supposed to feel. Yeah. Exhilaration. You know? Where can people find you, brother? Uh, the Mindset Mentor Podcast is my podcast. Uh, it comes out four times a week, um, usually about 20-minute episodes. And then uh, Rob Dial Jr., R-O-B-D-I-A-L-J-R, is Instagram. They can connect me. If anyone's a coach, they want to learn more about it, we can chat about it. Um, it would have been Rob Dial, but there's a guy who, you know, Fucker. hasn't posted in six years and now it's it's like four six six pictures on there and four of them are pictures of weed but they're still up there i can't i can't get it so it's rob dial jr is uh the easiest place to find me yeah beautiful yep. man thanks for coming on yeah, bro, great thanks show. for having me man thanks everybody much love peace thanks for tuning in to the podcast with rob dial you guys are the fucking best i love you and i'll see you next week